Stop overpaying for a great shave. Visit harrys.com slash rebelforce for quality guaranteed German engineered razor blades at factory direct prices. Get a free trial set when you sign up. A $13 value at harrys.com slash rebelforce. Somebody get this big walking carpet out of my way. Get full access to RFR only on Patreon. Become a member of the RFR Patreon community to get more Rebel Force Radio. Bonus shows and content are available right now only at patreon.com slash rebelforceradio. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is Rebel Force Radio. Your source for the Force. Star Wars news and commentary. With Jason Swank and Jimmy Mack. I've seen Star Wars 500 times. Star Wars number one. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. Now it's time for Rebel Force Radio. We would be honored if you would join us. Well, I don't know if anybody knows this, but uh, there is a Star Wars movie out at the theaters right now. You should go see it. It's really good. It's called Solo, A Star Wars Story. Check it out. It might still be playing. I think it's still playing. Is it still playing? Still playing. All right. It's still out at the theaters. No, I'm being being quite serious. It's a great movie. It's so much fun. And they do, I think, an incredible job of imagining young Han Solo, Alden Ehrenreich, doing a superb, superb turn as uh, smuggler Han Solo. I think it's I think it's absolutely fantastic. But if you're online these days, you don't know that there's a new Star Wars movie because everybody keeps talking about The Last Jedi. Everybody's talking about, uh, you know, the 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 creative teams and uh, the the actors and people behind sorry toxic star wars fans it's that that's the headline right now that's the headline you know what else is a headline uh, thank god george lucas retired <laughs> did you see he was gonna we were all gonna be watching star wars in a microscope what's going on is this is, like the incredible journey what i don't know it's just horrible uh, and no one's talking about what's right in front of us, which is Solo, a Star Wars story. But that's going to change. We're going to talk a lot about that right here on Rebel Force Radio. This week's show for Friday, June 15th, 2018. So glad to be with you. We've got some uh, interview highlights coming from the director of Solo, a Star Wars story. No, not Lord and Miller. Talking about Ron Howard. He's going to be revealing his insights into the film. Now that everyone's seen it, this is that great time when, you know, the, the director comes out and says, ah, okay, all right, we don't have to worry about spoilers anymore. Uh, probably everybody that's going to see this movie has seen it, at least in the theatrical run, so I'm going to talk about it. And uh, we've got those highlights, uh, plus uh, listener feedback. We've got voicemails coming up. And, of course, we have to talk about all of the excitement going online, if you can call it excitement, all the stuff, the garbage happening online within Star Wars fandom. Hopefully we can help you make sense of all of that. That's all coming up here on this week's show. But first, 
I cannot do it alone. I must have my good friend and yours from Chicago, Jimmy Mack. Hey, Jason. Hey, Star Wars fans. Man, I'm so happy to be back behind the microphone to talk about Star Wars, talk about all the uproar that's been blowing up online. Uh, you know, I, I feel like I've, I've got a lot bottled up in me. I'd like to get it out. What, uh, you the- still got stuff left? Uh, not much, not much. You know, I, I, I took a deep dive into Twitter. I was like a bullet at China shop for a week, and then I ran out the front door. Uh, but, uh, like I like I said on Twitter, you know, everything we have to say, we'll say here on the show. Uh, yeah, we've said last week. You know, Twitter's not exactly the place for nuanced conversation, uh, but mm-hmm. I, I think here on the podcast it is, and we just want to provide everyone with honest and. Uh, reliable takes on what we see going on around us in the Star Wars universe without picking sides. We try to find a way to look right down the middle at things and uh, look for the Star Wars that is as opposed to the Star Wars that isn't. And when it comes to uh, what's been happening in the fan community lately, the Star Wars that is is really scary. But uh, we'll talk about that. We'll talk a lot about Solo. I'm so excited that we have a special co-host with us this week, Jason, for the entire show. And it's long overdue. Rebel Force Radio family coming home to join us. And uh, Jason, I'll, I'll let you do the honors of the introduction. Well, this guy goes way back, way back to the Forcecast days uh, when his listeners to his great podcasts uh, lobbied us to make sure that we, you know, for us to have him on. And we were real suspicious at first. And then, (laughs) gosh, what were we waiting for? Because we found kindred spirits in, of course, the one, the only Steve Glosson, who is a podcast pioneer. And uh, the least asked for guest ever. (laughs) Well, the good news is uh, the schedule was clear, right? That's right. (laughs) (laughs) You've had the A team, now have the double D team. (laughs) No, man, this is, uh, I mean, we're talking about the king of the Gollivers. Uh, Gollivers. A lot of shows. The Gollivers? What? What, what did you say? Did uh, you hear that, Steve? The Gollivers? I did. I, I said Gollivers. I said Gollivers. Well, look, I'm not going to come on your show and call you out. That's not what I do. <laughs> uh, anyway, of course, the geekoutonline.com is the hub for all things uh, Steve Glassman. But, Steve, it is wonderful to have you with us here on Rebel Force Radio. We go we go back long ways, uh, Steve Glasson and uh, Jimmy Mack and myself. So oh, it really man. is nice I, to have you. Jimmy and I were reminiscing the other night about about what happened when uh, some listener, after after months of just doing, and it was really a bit, like I never thought I'd land on you guys' radar. And, um, and I was just doing it as a bit for my listeners. You know, I wasn't really punching at you guys. I was more like revering you guys and, and saying all these great things. And then someone said, why don't you just ask them to come on your show? And I was like, I never thought about that. <laughs> I wonder if they'll be available. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we weren't we weren't as so suspicious of you, Steve. We were more suspicious of uh, the listeners there. Well, the sure. Yeah. Well, you know, you know how people online can get. They get really uh, passionate and aggressive sometimes. Oh, I've never noticed. <laughs> I've never uh-uh. noticed. No, is that is that why I'm supposed to eat excrement? I don't know. According oh. to Twitter, that's uh, that's in that's now on my to do list. Oh. Apparently, well, I'm just a, I'm just a moron. Jason, so. Jason, Jason, is everyone forgetting the words of Qui Gon Jinn when he says, "Your focus determines your reality." I'd like everyone to just take a second, breathe in those words, and and realize the truth of that. And uh, so, social media be damned, as far as I'm concerned. But uh, 
Uh, I'll tell you what, um, when, when Steve first came on our radar, I started listening to Geek Out Online. Geek Out Loud was his flagship show at the time. Big Honkin' Steve was really letting it all hang out there, podcasts out, doing dance parties. Never knew anyone to do a dance party via audio-only podcast, but... Man, it works. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're in the car, if you're in the bus, if you're in your living room, wherever you are, even in the turlet. Dance party, dance party. And so I just thought it was revolutionary, and I I, I started to pick up on the spirit of this guy, and uh, thank God we became fast friends. And of course, Steve, you have accompanied us on uh, RFR listener meetups at Disney Orlando. When Swank would bail year after yes. year, yeah. Yeah. I would tap the Glossin, and then there was that one great year when we were able to all get together. Oh, when we finally got you down there, it was so great, Jason. It was what great. a great time! Mm-hmm. What a fantastic time! That was a good time. That was a, my my kids still talk about you. They oh. still talk about Steve. When are we well, going to see Steve again? <laughs> I said, well, maybe, maybe celebration in Chicago. We'll see what happens. We'll see what develops. Uh, uh, well, that's that. You know what? That is that is part of why we have Steve here because this is part podcast and part therapy for Steve. And oh wow, that's an yeah, intervention. You didn't know this. It is an intervention because <laughs> Steve, we love Steve Glosson. We- we're here to save your fandom, sir. Oh that's man, what we're here to do. oh man, is Ooh. it out there? Is that out there? The stakes have wow. never been higher. I feel like well, Julie Chen hosting an episode of Big Brother. Mm. Well, I'm just saying that I, you know, I, I, I'm I'm not a mind reader, but I think that it is it is clear uh, that perhaps uh, Steve's fandom, when it comes to the GFFA, uh, could be could be waning, or or could be weakened, or it, it could be in danger. I don't know, but I, I'm I'm ready to. I'm I'm ready to see if we can ignite the spark that lights the flame that builds the fire that we're gonna flick your bick. Whoa, yeah. I don't know what what what, what is what does Poe say? I don't know. There's something about flames and ignites and all that. But but I think we should start out by sort of taking a a, a look at. Uh, where you're at now, and I know that mm-hmm. you just saw Solo fairly recently, mm-hmm. Star- Solo, a Star Wars story, yep. and I, 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 for one, would love to hear your take. What what did you think of the movie, and how did it sort of map to what you were thinking about before you went into the film? Because there was just so much baggage mm-hmm. that we were carrying since we follow this stuff so closely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I Well, uh, you know, I went into Solo um, a little trepidatious. I... I've been, I've just been kind of disheartened with Lucasfilm, and you know, it seems like every time you turn around, and you guys have made the point, they have fired uh, almost more directors than they've hired. It seems like, yeah. and and mm-hmm. and and there just seem there seems to be such turmoil over there with everything that's going on. Loved Rogue One, uh, Last Jedi. I am still figuring out if I like it or not, and and still struggle with a lot of things about it. And so solo, I was just like, "All right, if it's fun, then that's." But and it was a lot of fun. I, I thought that it was um, just. I loved Rogue One so much as far as these new this new era of Star Wars goes, and it was just below Rogue One for me as far as just the enjoyment that I had in this thing. I, um, and, and then you know the the surprise reveal toward the end and or, or at the end and and 
and just the joy of seeing the Kessel Run and um, the the adventure was there. The, the the excitement and adventure of Star Wars was there, and somehow there was a little bit of that Star Wars mythology woven in at the same time. You know, it wasn't as heavy handed as having you know Guardians of the Wills there, but it was still. Um, it was so. I, I felt like the mythology of Star Wars was so deftly done in the in the solo movie. Structurally, the first I don't know maybe third or first quarter of the movie seemed a little disjointed to me. But after that, once it gets going, it really got going, and I had a great time with it. Yeah, you know, as a guy who grew up on the original trilogy, and of course, you know, Harrison Ford's incredible and iconic. Uh, portrayal of Han Solo. Uh, what did you think of Alden Ehrenreich? You know, I was, I, was su- I was surprised at how easy it was for me just to slip into him being Han Solo. Yeah. Um, I, I, I really did. Ex- I expected that to be my big hiccup with this movie yeah. uh, as far as never believing him because the trailers, in the trailers, I didn't quite get it. I didn't quite see the solo but there was something but this is a different solo isn't it i mean this well, is you a know what though i just want to say but beside the trailers i mean there was all this leaked information right. about the you right. know the guy can't act his way out of a paper bag and they've got mm-hmm. an acting teacher on the set the point being that it seems like someone there was uh he had it in for alden Mm. Uh, and I don't well, know who it was. I, it was on set, but somebody was out there setting the narrative that this guy was was going to be a disaster. And I don't think he was. I, you know, he was obviously a different Han Solo than than the one that we meet in A New Hope. He is he's still getting his feet out, uh, you know, under him. He's still figuring out this galaxy for as streetwise as he is on Corellia. He still had a lot to learn out in the you know out in the big broad universe. But we see that heart of gold coming through that Han Solo always had. You know, we see yeah. we see the Han Solo that flew back to the Death Star to save Luke in this guy. You know, when when he realizes that that Infus Nest and the gang is are more just a, like a rebel cell than anything, and 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 instead of going for his own reward, he goes to to turn the table to help them. And and, and so the. From a character and the way that character was written, and really the way Alden portrayed him, I never had an issue. I never, I, I yeah. never had a problem getting sli- sliding into that being Han Solo for me. Um, I, I didn't either. I, I didn't yeah. either. And, and if it, I did, I would say so. I mean, I'm not. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm at a point where I, you know, I don't. I, 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 You're not I'm, shilling. I'm not shilling for the man. Right. No shilling. No, not, but no you've always been man. a very honest and uh, off the cuff Star Wars fan, and. Uh, someone who who speaks from the heart and uh i I appreciate what you're saying about alden because i i was surprised myself at how easily i slid into it you know why it is is because we're looking at a young han solo whenever Mm -hmm. they do the young guy flashbacks in movies somehow i accept it you know uh, sure robert de niro one of the all-time greatest actors of course he's playing young marlon brando in the flashback sequences in godfather 2 i never question it for a second even though the two of them are vastly different personalities vastly different actors physically very different especially when you consider older brando in godfather 1 compared to de niro's take on younger brando in godfather 2 uh, i'm able to accept it it's the quality of the storytelling really that i think makes those things obsolete and uh i think 
But yes, of course, you have to have a certain gravitas. You have to have a certain way of capturing the essence of what the original actor brought to the role. And I think Alden had ample opportunity to do that. Everything from physicality, like the way he would stand, the way when he was in his gunslinger's pose getting ready to dry mm-hmm. i thought that was felt like iconic on solo to me yeah when they when they're having the shootout on kessel i was like well look at there yeah. look at what he's I, I mean i really was that was I, there were so many moments in the movie that just kind of made me smile and 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 i think as as much as people like to talk about oh the the depth and and all the things to pick apart in the last jedi i do think there's something to be said for star wars when it also just makes you smile and and you just get caught up in the adventure of it all, and and I really did with that. I also think that what the you know, and, and I guess it's credit to Jonas for what he's done with Chewie. Those two characters coming together, their meeting, the way they met, I thought was great. The way that they the relationship kind of grew and they bonded as the movie progressed to the moment when Chewie sees you know Shock of the Wookie and um and and goes to save him or her or whatever that Wookie was. And uh, and he and he and Ch- and Han completely throws the plan out the window and says, "Yeah, go ahead," you know, because he gets it, he understands, and and there's a bond that's formed between those two that just seems, you know, it it was natural. It, it feels right. Very, it did. It, it, it did. just felt and, right. And they played off of each other fantastically. So, yeah, I, it it's a movie that surpassed my expectations and. I hate that I haven't been able to get back to the theater to see it again because I, I I've only seen it the one time and right. really enjoyed it and I and I'd love to see it again. Yeah, I, me, let's you just and me both. Little, Last night was. Little... Can I just say because yeah. I'm 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 reg- I'm lamenting the fact that. Last night was the final opportunity I would get to see Solo on IMAX. At my favorite theater. I was able to take the family for the one IMAX experience after Solo in Ohio. I got back that Sunday. We all went to see Solo. Everyone loved it. The the kids, my boys, loved picking out all the Easter eggs, especially all the little knickknacks in uh, Drayden Voss's lair. There was a great moment when, and and I leaned over to the lady friend when it happened. When L three, when the first time they all get in the Falcon, and L three is kind of booting up, and I and I and there was a sound effect that just caused me to tilt my head, you know, like a dog when it hears something weird, <laughs> and and I leaned over to the yeah. lady, and and I'm like, hey, that's the that's the sound the Falcon makes. I bet she's going to become part of the Falcon, and sure enough, that happened. And my girlfriend looked at me, and she's like, this is weird. I'm like, that's the only time I've ever been right about Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, so um. Uh, I got derailed. Um, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. I, I do it all no, the time, and no, I don't no. even mean to. No, uh, I like that I, story. You told me that story the other night, and I thought it was a great story, so I'm glad you were able to share it. So you've been to the IMAX once. Thank you. Steve, reeling me back in. You know, that's great. You can throw me over the cliff, <laughs> but it, like a bungee cord, you bring me right back up. That's fantastic. There were so many, were so many things I had to say. <laughs> 
<laughs> but the IMAX, the final IMAX was last night, and I planned mm-hmm. on going. But this past week, I've been really, you know, knocked to the ground by uh, professional uh, responsibilities with the day job. It's been very intense, and I've had no breathing time. And so that was my final opportunity. We're recording the show on Wednesday night, which is actually the last night. It's at the local IMAX uh, at my favorite theater. And then tomorrow night, The Incredibles will be debuting on that screen, and all solo screenings will be regulated to standard screening, which I will go one more time. Me and John Marcoux have plans to go uh, sometime in the next week, and I hope John will be joining us, Yogi John Marcoux, who's very famous for his mythological blueprint for Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi. You can hear that show. It's uh, We released that back in January on Rebel Force Radio. Uh, John will be joining us again for the mythological blueprint of Han Solo, as we see in Solo, A Star Wars Story. So, John's really, uh, he's pumped up. He was uh, over at my house last week sitting on the porch with me and uh, blowing my mind with uh, some of the things he picked up from viewing number one. So we're going to go again and see it standard screen. But I missed out on that final IMAX. IMAX is such a great way to see Star Wars films. I was surprised to note that Solo was not screening in 3D IMAX at my local multiplex. And this is a brand new state-of-the-art multiplex that just opened in the last year in Oak Brook, Illinois. And I was surprised because Rogue One, of course, was 3D IMAX. And The Last Jedi was 3D IMAX. And I'm not a big fan of the whole 3D thing. I've walked, I walked out of a 3D standard, standard size screen screening of the last of uh the force awakens i walked out because i felt like it just made the picture way too dull it was like i was wearing sunglasses in there at the movie theater it sucked but in imax they i think they overcompensate for that with the brightness of the picture and it it adds up much better visually for me but i noticed no solo 3d imax at this state-of-the-art theater in the chicago suburbs so i was thinking to myself did they abandon that? Has anyone seen Solo 3D IMAX? It must be plain, but not really widespread as the first uh, three movies under the Disney realm have been. Uh, let's see. I'm just doing a quick search here. Solo 3D IMAX. Uh, yeah, there are some. There are some. It's just uh, not as it widespread. White. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. There's not a whole, there's not a whole lot. Uh, by the way, if you're keeping score, we've got a worldwide gross uh, as of today, as we record the show, of $317 million for Solo, A Star Wars Story. That is uh, That includes the domestic as well as international, and it is uh, really a third of what uh, Rogue One was. Uh, it's worldwide gross. So it's, it's not a bright story. Uh, when we look at the box office, if that's what we're going to judge this film by. But I think that there's a lot more to this than the box office. Uh, I think that the box office is reflective of, in a lot of ways, a, a deterioration in the trust between uh, a lot of Star Wars fans and uh, Lucasfilm. And unfortunately, as I said on last week's show, this is the movie that got caught in the crosshairs and uh, we'll, we'll be talking about that as well as just some uh, really great information that has been laid down to us 
uh, about Solo from the director, Ron Howard. But first, let's go to the uh, voicemail bag and see what, uh, who do we got here? We've got, uh, oh, Jeremy from Raleigh, North Carolina. Let's see what Jeremy has to say. Jeremy. Hey, Jason, Jimmy, Ron here from Raleigh, North Carolina. Doing a little workout while I'm listening to your June 8th show. Now we're talking about uh, the young generation, six years old, watching Darth Maul. I had an interesting thing happen to me. I was getting gas, and I was uh, a member of the 501st in the Carolina Garrison. And I had a guy walk up to me, talking to me about Star Wars and stuff, because I got stickers all over the back of my truck. The 501st. And this guy was talking to me about the, the uh, prequel trilogy. And he said, something really interesting. He said, well, you know, I think Darth Maul should have been the arch nemesis throughout the whole first prequel trilogy. And I got to thinking about it, and I said, you know, it's pretty interesting. And then I sort of went a little further, I delved and developed that a little further. I thought, you know, it would have been kind of interesting if he was. And uh, they brought Anakin in, and then Maul trained Anakin under the Emperor's guise. Anakin, Darth Vader, at the end of episode three, kills Darth Maul, and then Vader becomes the greatest villain of all time. That would have been a really cool tying story. So you'd have like a, you know, trial. Emperor, Darth Vader, and uh, Darth Maul. One the apprentice, one the learner. What is it? Always, always three there are, or always two there are. One the, one the learner and one the apprentice. There's three in this one. Because two of them are under the guise of the Emperor. So, um, I just thought that was a really cool development in my head. Love the show. Listen to it every week. Takes me a little while to listen to it, but I get it done during the week, so I have my next one next week. Uh, love you guys. Take care. See you next year's, uh, celebration. And uh, may the force always be with you guys. Till then, ciao, ciao. Oh, all right, <laughs> Jeremy. Well, thank you very much. Did he say? Wait, was cha cha? He ciao, 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 ciao. Okay, did he say his name? Was I thought he said Ron at the beginning of his voicemail? Wait a minute, hold on. Let's see. Is it Ron or is it Jeremy? Is it hey, Ron? Jason, Jeremy? Jeremy, Ron here from Ron. That's Ron. Ron. You know, All right, that's the I was Google the voice translation. Yeah. And also, and also, Ron, way to go! I could tell you were out exercising while you were leaving us that voicemail. Good for you, buddy. <laughs> Good. Maybe I'll he take left in a the nice entire walk. voicemail. Yeah, yeah, or on a treadmill. I don't know. But uh, so, Ron, Ron's saying, look, it wouldn't have been cool. If this guy shows up. He's pumping gas. Is that what the deal is? And the guy shows up and sees all the Star Wars stickers on his uh, on his truck and says, "Hey." I think Darth Maul should have been the big bad throughout mm. the whole Star Wars uh, prequel trilogy, and it should have been Anakin versus Darth Maul and all of that. You know, it, it does take me back, guys. I remember just back in the you know the days of the internet when you were waiting for the the Poggle the lesser check. <laughs> yeah, well, that's where they that's got my did. Poggle the Lesser's voice is an old dial-up modem. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's exactly right. But I mean, those days when you were waiting for the for the for the dial-up, and I was in college, and I was waiting. Uh, you know, and all of a sudden, boom! They, there's the uh, packaged, you know, carded figure of young Obi Wan Kenobi from this incredible new movie coming out, Episode One: The Phantom Menace. 
And um, who is that? That crazy sort of devil-faced character that you know sort of dominated the marketing of uh, Phantom Menace is Darth Maul, and you're mm. thinking. Wow! Oh my gosh! They, is this guy going to be cooler than Darth Vader? I mean, is this guy going to be the? Okay, we've met the guy uh, that's going to take us through the whole prequel trilogy, and then when he uh, bit it at the end. Sorry, spoiler alert. Uh, but when he was cut in half at the end, I thought, wow, is this okay? So he's not the the, the new Darth Vader. He's the new Boba Fett. He's the guy that everybody gets excited about, and then it's over. Um, but he's also now this character that just doesn't go away. He shows up in Clone Wars. He shows up in Rebels. Now, all of a sudden, he's in Solo. Uh, what do you guys think? Do you think that this is... Could he have been the Sith that could have carried uh, the, the the prequel trilogy and, and then finally been the final uh, you know cross to bear for Anakin Skywalker as he becomes the Emperor's number one? Hmm. Yeah, well, I have like really very opinionated things to say about this. So I'll let Steve, since he's our guest co-host, I'll let him throw in his two cents if he'd like to. And then I'll, uh, I'll jump in to respond to Ron because Ron, uh, listener, Ron certainly has my wheels a spinning. Hmm. Well, I, you know, I don't, it's one of those things where it's like, well, no, I don't think it would have worked out because that's not how it worked out. But at the same time, I, I do think that Darth Maul and the Phantom Menace, his character wasn't fleshed out enough to be a believable um, foil for the Jedi in the same way that Dooku ended up being. There was just something about Dooku, Darth Tyrannus, uh, leading the Separatists. He was he had this air of um, you know old-school nobility about him right. where you really bought into him as a political dissident and a political leader the way that he was, uh, covering for the fact that he was a Sith. The minute Darth Maul walks into a room, you're like, oh, he's a bad guy. And right. And so, yeah. you know, I mean, like that, those like, there's no question. And so I think that I don't know that with the look of Darth Maul, that it that the story would have continued to go in a similar direction as far as the mm. political uh, stuff and everything, which some people might say, well, that's great. That's what we wanted. Um, <laughs> but I like what has happened to him in the aftermath of everything. I like finding him in a junk pile in the Clone Wars and and getting into the Witches of Dathomir stuff and uh later in in what happened in Rebels with he and Ezra and and his demise at the hands of Obi-Wan. It it seemed perfect and, and showing up continuing there, you know, in the in in the underworld in, at the end of Solo, I think is just I, I think is great. I love what they've done with him. I don't think he's ended up being a wasted character at all. You know, like Steve, I'm really happy that Darth Maul has had this second life. I mean, he's like a cat. He's had nine lives, let's face it. But here he is. He's back, and he's in uh, being reintroduced into the cinematic Star Wars universe, which really opens up the door. And, and this is what gets Ron thinking about Darth Maul. And I don't think Darth Maul would have been appropriate to be the villain that carried on the entire prequel trilogy because Palpatine really had to be the guy to manipulate from behind the scenes to turn both ends against the middle and uprise as the last man standing palpatine what he did was brilliant and darth maul was just a stepping stone first he tried to take out the jedi with brute strength pure dark side brute strength darth maul was a tool but he wasn't a leader he wasn't a strategist that's all come in the the resurrection of darth maul but 
during that period when George Lucas was developing the prequel trilogy, Darth Maul was a stepping stone for Palpatine to get from point A to point B. He then realized brute strength isn't the way to go. So for 10 years, he laid beneath the surface cultivating a political uprising by manipulating a former Jedi who actually had some political power because he had political strength at his homeworld of Sereno, and that's Count Dooku. And so Dooku was able to cultivate political strength while cultivating dark side strength. So he becomes tool number two for Palpatine. Palpatine uses his influence to kick off the war that he's been wanting to kick off for a while because he's playing both ends against the middle. He's working both sides of the, the chessboard. And so by the time of Revenge of the Sith, he has now cultivated his the third tool in his toolbox to make his final move, and that's Anakin Skywalker. What makes it so great that it's Anakin is that Anakin was on the side of good, and we have known him from a, a, a consumer standpoint, a consumer of storytelling standpoint. We've known him since he was a little kid. So we are so attracted to him and connected to him. So when he ultimately betrays everyone, it's much harsher of a blowback on us as an audience. You have this emotional attachment to both ends of the, the game. So it becomes a much more emotional experience for you to, to take in the story. Now, the Maul versus Vader thing, I'm dying to see. It was first teased to us in Dark Horse Comics, Star Wars Tales. And, it, you know, non-canon, right? They said it was Infinities is what they called that thing. It was sort of like Marvel's What If in the same vein as that. And there was a Maul versus Vader showdown. And then Rebels, of course, had the opportunity by bringing Darth Maul into the same era that Darth Vader resides in, you had the opportunity to have the showdown between those two, which I was really hoping was going to happen, and there was no payoff there. So now by bringing Maul back a third time, once again into the same era where Darth Vader is firmly locked and loaded as a Star Wars villain, you're setting the stage for a Maul versus Vader showdown. And who cares if we know that Vader will eventually survive or that Maul survived in the animated series timeline? None of that. It's all irrelevant. It's like it's like the WWE. We just want to see the match. That's right. You know, am I, I, I'm not barking up the wrong tree here, right, Steve? So that's what not, I'm thinking. Not at all, because in Rebels, it seemed like Maul, when we when we catch up with him in Rebels, that everything that he tried to set up for himself had somehow been taken away from him. Um, he when he finds Ezra, he's kind of on his last leg of trying to figure things out and and get back to and so he's then bent on the vengeance of where it all started, which is he wants to go wipe out Obi Wan Kenobi, and um and and that's his hope. You know, is to is to take that out and, and to to get his vengeance, to reclaim his power. You know, on the dark side, and he he seems like he'd been taken down a peg or two, and that did not happen solely in the Clone Wars when Palpatine showed up and killed Savage Opress and 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 subdued Darth Maul again. There's obviously that time in between where something happens, and and that's one of the the things about the solo film that really. This uh, the un the underachieving box office is is kind of sad because 
you know, I, I don't think we'll get a sequel because of it. And and I think that it would be such a fun direction to go in, knowing Darth Maul's there, knowing that we could have gotten to see Jabba and, and Han hook up with Jabba and, 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 you know, and Han and Chewie flying around in the Millennium Falcon, just those two again, and all that good stuff. Um, but especially that Maul thread out there. You're right. That's one of those fights I always wanted to see. And running a crime syndicate in the time of the Empire is a definite way to get on the you know, the radar, especially with all the Inquisitors and everything out there, it's a great way to get on the radar of the Emperor and Darth Vader. And I just think at the end of the prequel trilogy, to have the showdown between Obi-Wan representing Anakin's life before he betrayed everything that he believed in, and then Anakin, fully consumed by the Darth side, representing uh, Darth Plagueis, representing Darth Sidious, and uh, an agent of Palpatine, and an agent of the Empire and the dark side. Uh, you know, it, that that's a more impactful showdown than a Maul versus Vader. Oh, well, or even Maul versus yeah. Anakin. Because it's two bad guys fighting against each other. Mm-hmm. Of course it is. I mean, the whole thrust of, of, of Sith was getting, Obi- getting to that Obi-Wan-Anakin fight. Which did not disappoint. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you very much, uh, Ron. We appreciate it. From uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. Thanks. That was certainly a great fodder for discussion. Uh, should Darth Maul have been uh, the big bad in the final step uh, to the dark side for Anakin Skywalker? Uh, perhaps perhaps not. I think it... The galaxy sort of worked the way that it was uh, it needed to work there. Uh, all right. So moving right along here, we've got um, just a quick update here. The Rebel Force Radio is now available on YouTube. Yoo-hoo. What do you think? So, uh, yeah, we, we're going to put the podcasts up on YouTube. And, uh, Jim, you're going to get uh, all the episodes each week. And this began with the uh, June 8th. 2018 episode so many people have been saying to me hey you always say at the end of the show you have the rfr is available anywhere you can get podcasts and a lot of people have informed me that they're getting their star wars audio content off of youtube these days and so I figured, whatever, we'll take a deep dive into it. And I'm really happy we did because uh, there's been a lot of great feedback about it. And uh, so we're happy to to make Rebel Force Radio available wherever you want it. So if there's a platform out there you think RFR should be available on, please don't hesitate. Run to your email and send us a, a heads up at show at rebelforceradio.com. And we'll try to get it out there anywhere and everywhere we can because we want Rebel Force Radio to be, what, what, what did I say? RFR to be, oh, I had a, I had a, a funny little rhyme for it too. I, I'm going to have to go to the website. Oh, what? here it is. Here it is. <laughs> Another great way to listen to RFR wherever you are. It kind of rhymes. It kind of rhymes. Next, you're going to be writing dirty limericks. Or, yeah, well, yeah, they they keep refusing my uh, job applications at Hallmark Cards. Uh, RFR, wherever you are. There once. We're very popular with pirates. There once was a a sarlacc in the sun. And Billy (laughs) D said it looked like a pink one. Oh, no. Is that that what it is? 
Is that right? Isn't We're going to have to put the explicit label on this show now. Thanks. I'm sorry. I'm not even FJ. Dis- I'm not even. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Not- when you say the F in FJ, you almost want to say the uh, corresponding yeah. <laughs> profanity that goes with that letter. FJ, F you. <clears throat> okay, so anyway, you just go to uh, YouTube, search for Rebel Force Radio. Uh, we've got our YouTube channel linked, of course, at, uh, over at rebelforceradio.com. Subscribe. Not only do we subscribe. Have, yeah, please do subscribe, and you'll also uh, get all of those uh, great little pieces and parts to Sheldon Norton's Rebel Force Radio documentary, When the Galaxy Listens. Those are all available there on the official Rebel Force Radio YouTube channel. But before we go any further, do want to take a moment, a special time out to wish a very, very happy birthday to one of the all time greats in uh, in Star Wars, both behind the scenes and on screen. And that is Steve Sansweet. Steve of Rancho Obi-Wan. It is his birthday. As we record the show, it's his birthday tomorrow. And we just wish Steve the absolute happiest of birthdays. And uh, many, many, many more to come. And we appreciate what he does and all of the folks there at Rancho Obi-Wan so very much. So on behalf of all of us at Rebel Force Radio, we love you, Steve, and happy, happy birthday. Rancho Obi-Wan is home to the world's largest Star Wars memorabilia collection, as recognized by the Guinness Book of World Records. Become a member of Rancho Obi-Wan right now to get exclusive access to tours of Rancho Obi-Wan, hosted by Steve Sansweet, invites to special events, and more. Plus, you can also make a difference and help Rancho Obi-Wan grow with a simple donation of $1 or higher. Visit RanchoObiWan.org now to get the latest news, become a member, or make a donation. RanchoObiWan.org. All right, this week, the news is brought to you by our good friends at Harry's. Yes. And I got to ask you, Jimmy, when it comes to Harry's, mm-hmm. what's, the th- what, what's the best part? What do you love about using Harry's? Well, you know, it's a chore for guys to have to shave that beard each and every day. So I don't do it. But <laughs> every third or fourth day, I start to feel that uncomfortable gruffiness, that scruffy nerf herder sort of feel. And I say to myself, you know what, son, it's time to groom. And so going into the, uh, the uh, shower, I uh, prefer to use Harry's razors because they really do give me the best shave. I used to, as a young man, I used to nick up my chin a lot. I used to nick up my neck. I would get those, those little razor burns and bumps. With Harry's, I get the smoothest shave ever. And as a father of two teenage boys who are just now starting to experience the joys of beard, uh, well, they're very happy when I give them the Harry's razor and I say, this is the smoothest shave you're going to ever get and they say yeah right dad because they don't believe a word I say but then they try it and they say oh my god you're not kidding dad get more Harry's and Harry stands behind the quality of their blades and look they know we all know that switching razors is not an easy decision so they created this amazing trial offer set just for listeners of Rebel Force Radio claim yours right now by going to harrys.com slash rebel force that's harrys.com slash rebel Rebel Force. And uh, they're going to guarantee the close, comfortable shave at a fair price, like Jimmy was saying. 
you know, the, the history of the company is you basically had guys that were fed up with overpaying for expensive razors with unnecessary features. What, five blades, six blades, seven blades, eight blades? They knew that a great shave comes down to great blades made with sharp, durable steel that lasts. That's why they bought the factory. They've been making some of the highest quality blades in the world for over 95 years. And they're going to sell to you directly over the internet. And that allows them to offer their blades at a price much, much lower than the leading brand, just $2 per blade. You compare that to $4 or more per blade that you're going to pay at retail. So we have a special for all RFR listeners, guys and girls. My wife, Wendy, loves Harry's. Redeem their free trial set right now, harrys.com slash rebelforce. Make sure you go to harrys.com slash rebelforce to redeem your offer and let them know we sent you, me and Jason, to help support RFR. I have good news for you, my lord. That's good news. Come closer, I have good news. That's good news. We've got news. We've got news. We've got news from Ron Howard, the director of Solo, A Star Wars Story, is speaking out. That's right. He was on the Empire Film Podcast. Solo spoiler featuring Ron Howard you can go to emperor, uh, EmpireOnline.com. I said Emperor. <laughs> EmpireOnline.com and uh, get the podcast. They're awesome. Yep. And so we've got some clips here, Jim. You've pulled some from this uh, interview with Ron Howard. This is the first, uh, I think, uh, significant interview he's done, at least in terms of the uh, aftermath of Solo as he's reflecting on the film and some of the uh, plot points. Right, no doubt uh, about explaining it. explaining some things. Our friends at EmpireOnline.com, they let us know right up front, this is the Solo spoiler interview with Ron Howard. So we have some edited highlights here for you. The first thing that Ron Howard talks about is, what's up with Solo? I mean, we're kind of left with some loose ends here, and we don't know if... It's going to be really continued on. Is it, is Solo setting up something we can expect to see continued as far as storyline threads? Uh, will this be continued in future Star Wars films? There's no concrete plan to do another Han Solo movie. And yet, you know, it's been um, kind of a constant process of uh, asking the questions, you know, how might have this happened? Uh, how might have Han Solo been uh, affected? What what are the events that might have shaped his his life? And and it did, kind of in the last couple of months that we were working on it, uh, sort of unfold uh, in this way that I think it does continue to beg questions. And uh, you know, the the the, uh, the fans are uh, are. Um, seem enthusiastic and and uh so maybe there's going to be interest in in exploring those so what he's specifically talking about is the sort of quote star wars underworld universe that's being established in solo that could be something that continues on through future feature films where you have the crimson dawn is a major player and then we also heard in the film there are five there are five families, essentially, just like Godfather. You have the five criminal factions of the Star Wars universe. You have to imagine the Hut Cartel is one of them. But it could open up a whole thing that it shows off all of these criminal factions of the Star Wars universe vying for control in certain sectors of the galaxy. And so that way you remove everything from the whole Rebels versus empire storyline little flexibility there but if you bring in a criminal underworld 
And this is something George Lucas was experimenting and exploring with Rick McCallum when he was first diving into the idea of a Star Wars live action show. It would have been called Star Wars Underworld. That was the working title that uh, Rick McCallum revealed publicly uh, while they were pre-producing that ill-fated TV series that never got off the ground that George famously said, uh, what was that? Uh, He said it was... It's on the shelf. That's it. On the shelf. Yeah, Yeah, don't forget about Star Wars 1313, which is a video game that was also being developed alongside some of the concepts that were being developed for uh, the Underworld TV series. And we were getting teases. And squishies. What was that? And squishies. And squishies. And squishies. All the squishies. Star Wars squishies. That animated series. We're never really sure what that was. But, yeah, George, it was uh, squishies based on the toys, the squishies. Um, But uh, (laughs) the, the Star Wars 1313, the underworld, we were getting little teases of that in the Clone Wars animated series. In the final two seasons of that series, there were clues being dropped about the underworld of Coruscant the criminal uh, element of the Star Wars galaxy. And so here's something that could be explored in a series of films. And I'm a fan who definitely is on board with something like that. That sounds cool. You have the Crimson Dawn. You have the Hutt Cartel. You could have the Death Watch as part of it. Uh, The Black Sun, of course, from the old expanded universe days. We've obviously seen that there's no fear from tapping into the expanded universe era to bring in elements of that into the live-action movies. I'm sure the next animated series, the next li- the first live-action TV series, uh, we, we think a couple of them are on the way. Uh, they'll probably have lots of expanded universe elements involved in them. So uh, I, I think that's something that Ron is saying when he's talking on uh, the Empire podcast, that uh, that's something that fans would be into. And, uh, yeah, I, I could see that carrying... The films for a stretch because it removes the whole galactic conflict and really kind of centralizes things. Well, sure. I mean, what it does is it, it, it provides what's happening on the other side. So you've got, of course, the, re, the rebellion and the empire happening on, on over, over here and then just flip the camera around and you've got the empire perhaps uh, dealing with uh, you know the, the the massive crime and everything else that's going unchecked in the galaxy as a result of these uh, you know, various criminal factions, and and then also some of the partnerships that are going on and some of the alliances that are happening. So it is a really clever way to sort of stay in the same era um, that has been so well tread through, and there's not a whole lot of surprises left in that particular. Uh, setting and then just sort of flipping the camera around and saying, yeah, but this is what's happening. What you don't see is these, you know, this criminal underworld that's on there. Mm-hmm. Um, Wait, what about Steve? What does Steve think about something like that? Would you like to see further exploration in the films into that criminal is, underworld? Well, Would that make a really solid thread that can carry through several different films? Well, for me, uh, you've got to have a hero, and if it's going to be, if we're going to follow Han and Chewie through, you know, through their adventures in that underworld, yes, for sure. I was really excited when they said, you know, the Pikes control Kessel, because uh, that's something I'd never thought we'd see in a live action setting, and and 
and there they were looking yes. like they did in the Clone Wars and everything. And I'm like, wow, this is really, really cool to see all this. And and I don't think that obviously it's something they've wanted to do for years, Jim. You mentioned the 1313 and the live action series that was supposed to focus on the underworld. And there, since the guys, since the Cantina sequence in in A New Hope, Star Wars fans have just been driven to that seedy underbelly of the star wars universe so true. you know w- with so all true. the wanting all the backstories of those aliens and it just got ramped up more when we get to the bounty hunters that are on the bridge yes. of the star destroyer in empire and and suddenly that opens up remember in season two of the clone wars the rise of the bounty hunters everyone was so excited you know oh this is going to be amazing and 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 they didn't quite focus on that, I think, as much as people would have liked to have seen. But it's obviously something for fans that is that has not been tapped as much as as the fans may like it to be. I know some of people's favorite books from the old EU are those tales from the Cantina and tales from Jabba's Palace. Yes, the uh, the Boba Fett uh, was it a Boba the Smugglers trilogy or whatever that was you know where Boba Fett it opens with like Boba Fett blasting his way out of the Sarlacc pit and everything. And so it's um. I think it's definitely some untapped potential for Star Wars that I think fans really want to see. And look, uh, here's what I've discovered about myself: is if it says Star Wars, I'll probably go sit down and watch it. Yeah, you know, I right. Well, of and, course, and that's the thing. And it, but what? Right. And we're going to get into some more of this later on in the program. But uh, clearly, we're all sort of on that same page. It's Star Wars product. We're going to go. We're going to check it out and. Then we'll see. We'll we'll, we'll reserve judgment, uh, but it's at least going to be enough of a hook to get us there. Sure. Um, but it's certainly not going to, you know, absolve anyone from any sort of criticism and and constructive criticism that we have as fans and 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 not just fans, but people that have been following this for forty years. Mm-hmm. We're, we're just come on yesterday. Oh, I'm starting a petition for a salacious B. Crumb standalone film. Yeah, finally. salacious. A Star Wars story. It's about a salacious Star Wars story. A salacious Star Wars story. (laughs) Crumb. Crumb. All right, so we we love that he's got that middle. What do you think that middle initial is? Is it just vanity like Michael J. Fox? It doesn't stand for anything? Or does it really stand for something, that salacious B. Crumb? That bastard. He's a salacious bastard. All right, back uh, to Ron Howard. Uh, yeah. All right, so Ron Howard on the Empire Online podcast was uh, talking a little bit about the potential of a Lando standalone film. Remember, we heard some rumors about a Lando standalone film. What up with that? Donald is so charismatic as Lando. Yeah. He's so entertaining. You know, that's a real possibility. But again, it's they're, they're, you know, here's the thing to say about Lucasfilm, Kathy Kennedy and company, is... And fans worry that there's some kind of a of a, of a sort of a corporate agenda Ooh. to just start cranking out the movies. And you know, I came in from the outside. I don't observe that at all. There, what there is is a real passionate desire to explore it. What there was was Ron, please save this movie for us. If, if he were, I, I just keep because it's his voice. I keep going to like Arrested Development bits. Ron didn't. Ron didn't see Kathleen crying in the bathroom. Guys, I grew up on Happy Days. I mean, 
I hear Richie Cunningham. I, he's such a. That's what I love about Ron Howard. Is he such a genuine person? It, it shines through his characters. It shines through his narration. It shines through his having to deal with film publicity and all that crap that he has to deal with. But he really sounded very down to earth and and very relaxed in this Empire podcast. Is you know you shouldn't be surprised by that. That's the, the look. I don't I don't doubt for one minute that the that the culture there is is uh you know not not corporate and you know not about just turning these movies out i i i don't i don't believe that at all i think that it's it's probably very much uh more or was i should say more lackadaisical i think that there was a lot of things that they took for granted but i you know and again we'll talk about it later in the program but i think there's been an erosion of trust and unfortunately solo was paying the price we should point out too that this podcast uh was released really before the uh you know the the the, before the writing was really on the wall in terms of what this film was going to mean as far as box office goes so this is a little bit of a of a ron howard prior to um I think sort of the the big uh, reveal of how this film was going to be greeted by by not just Star Wars fans because this look this series well, came it was posted six days ago. I I think the writing was on the wall for this film after its miserable underperformance during Memorial Day weekend. Uh, this is a podcast that was released six days ago. Well, after that, I, I believe well, that, we don't know uh, when it we don't know when it was recorded. This I, I, sound like I tend guy. to believe that you know the, 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 yes. I listened to the whole thing and I, I recommend everyone don't just take whatever little highlights we've pulled. Go to EmpireOnline.com and look up the Solo Empire podcast, spoiler special with Ron Howard, and listen to the whole thing for yourself. I have to admit, I don't think the box office was really uh, approached at all during this interview. But just by judging by the the, the whole rhythm of the conversation, uh, yeah, I think this was recorded well after the fact, uh, well after opening weekend, so... If you had an interview with Ron Howard, if we had one here for Rebel Force Radio, we wouldn't sit on it, Jason. <laughs> we would definitely not sit on it. I, so. I would. I wouldn't sit on it. But but I. It seems kind of odd that the question wasn't brought up. What do you make of the lackadaisical uh, box office results of this film? I. All right. Well, there's. You I know what? I can't confirm. I think, it, or deny I think it's that. weird. I was. I, I, I listened to this thing poolside, man. I was probably drifting yeah. in and out of consciousness. Uh, I especially think they, toward the I second they half of it. this. I think they recorded this uh, probably sometime in between the uh, the premiere and the embargo being released and the, uh, the 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 you know national release of the film, and it was pre recorded, and then they were told when they could release it. And I, I don't think this 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 to me does not sound like a director of a film that is a dramatically and uncharacteristically underperforming. This sounds there were, there to me like certain, a guy that's still certain trees. anxiously awaiting the fan reaction to this movie. Otherwise, he wouldn't be talking about potential sequels and potential spinoffs. Well, you know, I, I really can't argue with that point. What I think is uh, likely to be the situation is that they had a coordinated interview with the director of the film, and it was coordinated when this thing could be released. 
Okay, hey, you know what? That's fair. That's how Hollywood publicity works, and uh, so we shouldn't jump to any conclusions about anything. Uh, but let's just listen to what Ron's saying about certain things here. Uh, he's talking about the uh, Darth Maul moment. In the script, it just said the big boss, and uh, we we don't dare put in print who it is. So I realized... That I thought they knew who this character was, you know, and maybe it was Vader or something. You know, I didn't know. I, I, I didn't know who it could be. And they really didn't. And they had not decided. And they just sort of mentioned, in, they had a kind of a list of a few candidates. And they even talked about just inventing a new gangster boss, you know, because uh, there are five syndicates. They're just not, you know, maybe they just invent somebody. Yeah. And I said, oh, mom. Oh, Maul. Oh, yeah. What happened to him? Because I hadn't really seen the animations, but I knew more had happened with him. Mm. And this, they told me the story, and I said, "You know, well, wouldn't that be wouldn't that be cool?" So that's yep. how Maul and, got slid. But what he's saying is that, and when it they, was, <laughs> and there he was. But when they were shooting it, there was not really any sort of specification as to who the character was. It was just. Does that kind of bug anybody? It, it I mean, bugs me this, a little this, bit this, too. This sort of this paint by numbers thing that they got going on. Well, it's you know, just it's like, like who can we slot in at the last minute to right, drive right. some fan interest in this film that really doesn't contain those kind of elements? You know, well, what what sort I, of seeds no, can don't we you plant think for the future? This is the, does this not just sort of show you sort of what a guy like Ron Howard was up against? I mean, I mean, I mean, you got this guy who's who is who is a one a, a terribly prolific uh, filmmaker uh, going back to uh, the eighties, and all of a sudden, you know, he gets this script, and it's this sort of weird paint by number insert villain here. We don't know what's going to go happen there. Um, it. it, it I can't even imagine what that must have been like uh, for someone like Ron Howard, who I think probably has a much, much, you know, <laughs> typically has a much, much firmer grasp of the creative process. Yeah, you can, think this would uh, be more fully fleshed out? Can I give a yeah. bit of a different, a different viewpoint on this? Please, this thing? yes, absolutely. Um, I, I listen. On one hand, I completely agree with you guys. On the other hand, I'm like, how cool is it that someone sat down with Ron Howard and was like, okay, here's what happened, you know, and. <laughs> <laughs> like I would have oh. read the, I, I just think I would love to be that guy, you know, like, okay, Ron, check this out. And now let me show you this clip from the Clone Wars. Oh, and this is what happened over in Rebels, but now that Rebels happens after all this is gonna happen in solo. So, you know, just if whatever. Ron you makes pick. it very clear that there was there was uh coordination between John Kasdan and the Lucasfilm story group, mm -hmm. and then John Kasdan fed information to Ron Howard. That was sort yeah. of how the dominoes fall. It all, it's, it's all there in the Empire podcast. I just think it's one of those things it's like you want you want the people that work on these things sometimes to be fans but i also in the case of solo i really think it played out well that that ron wasn't much of a fan and when he's like what happened to him and they have to tell him i think it's it, i think it you know is is kind of a neat thing to think of ron howard learning about star wars on the other hand i completely agree with your point about this paint by numbers aspect of things and not even jason i don't even think it's a paint by numbers it's more like a throw the spaghetti against the wall and see if it sticks yeah, um yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. and 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 
And I really do think well, there, there's no vision. I mean, this is so right. clear to me. This is so clear, and and this is coming as a guy, you know, from a guy who I've really enjoyed the films that have come out since Force Awakens, uh, including Force Awakens. Well, of course you have, because uh, you love for, Star for, for Wars. What they are? You love, I love Star, Star Wars. Wars. I love talking about it. But when I hear about what's going on behind the scenes, I can't, I can't help but see it for the mess that it is well and it's, a, it's a terrible mess and all you we have to be do, honest all you have to do is compare it to what's happening with another disney property over at marvel marvel has they had a clear vision a clear plan and you want to talk about dealing with difficulties kevin feige has had to play chess with the different characters that may or may not be licensed to be able to be under the marvel studios banner and he is he he managed to take uh, you know, back in 2008, they managed to take a, a, a basically at the time a B-list Marvel character. It's hard to think about that today, but Iron Man was not an A-list Marvel character. Absolutely. He was not a he was not a household name. Yes. And they took that character and built this entire cinematic universe on the shoulders of that movie with a constant vision. And even the only problems we've really heard come out of Marvel. Um, as far as like disgruntled or unhappy, were one Joss Whedon had major burnout after Age of Ultron, and he had some run-ins with uh, the the Marvel Studios when he wanted to do some things with Age of Ultron or didn't want to do some things, and they insisted that he do to kind of be connective tissue for the rest of the movies. And then Edgar Wright having to leave Ant Man, and but at the end of the day, none of those people have said negative, super negative things about each other e either. You know, they've. They've they've done a really good job of here is our clear vision. You can come in and get on board with our vision and have a great time, like the Russos have, like all these other people have, or you know, hey, it's been nice to talk to you, and yeah. we wish you all the I best. Mean, I mean, I mean, imagine this. Imagine this. Okay, so you're you're Ron Howard. You're reading this script, and it's all leading towards the reveal of the guy that's pulling the strings behind Dryden Voss. And it's like the big boss, Ex, you know. You talking about the big boss man from Cobb County, Georgia, Jason? <laughs> That's right, baby. The big boss man. Uh, WWF, yeah. Yeah. old school, uh, old school. With bully stick and all, in the That's you right. know the. The sunglasses oh. have chrome on on the inside. All right, hold on, real quick. I need to see if he. I don't know if he listens or not. Stuffity, if you're listening, what I need is that clip from Solo. And instead of Maul showing up, it's a it's a big boss man promo from back in the day. Yeah, yeah, right. please, Stuffity, yeah, Stuffity. That's right. If anyone That's right, knows, big boss man coming to the Richfield Coliseum. I'm going to take it to Hogan. <laughs> Richfield. <laughs> All right. So, but but uh, just I, again, I I can't imagine. Uh, the frustration that, and and the, the 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 sort of who cares? I mean, if you don't even care enough to think about who the lead villain is going to be, where all the bread you know the breadcrumbs uh, lead. Uh, now, look, does it have an impact on the film at the end of the day? No, but when it, when you hear this stuff that's happening in terms of how the sausage is getting made. It's like, good God, you're, you're, you're lucky that you're coming across, you're ending up with anything that's remotely edible when you sort of have this uh, kind of weirdly, I don't know, it could be, here's a list of 10 people it could be, a kind of attitude when you're filming the damn thing. It's insanity to me. Just absolute insanity. Um, 
It's like the Keystone cops run around just bumping into each other, and occasionally they get lucky. Okay, so let's get back to Ron Howard and the uh-huh. Empire Online podcast. Uh, he continues to talk about that uh, sort of mystery head of Crimson Dawn. It wasn't really fleshed out. No one knew who he was. Could be anyone. And uh, the uh, concept of a famous hut gangster was brought up. And, oh, I, was, and was, I was about to ask you guys about that. The big slug. Was he on the list for potential heads of the Crimson Dawn? Jabba was on the list, yeah. But they, but they kind of knew they didn't want to go that way because yeah. it would be sort of funny and uh, maybe and, uh, um, and maybe a little bit too much like sequel baiting. Again, I think Look, everybody's waiting for the fans to 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 really um, tell Lucasfilm, uh, you know, what they'd like to see more of, <laughs> particularly in terms of these 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 more experimental non saga movies. All right, well, case closed on when this thing was released. I guess so. I guess there is a little bit of evidence there because the ears don't seem open at all. Yeah, and again, I you know the the thing that's so interesting about this is, and I and I mentioned this earlier, is what this is is this is a symptom of the erosion of trust between the fan and the creator. Uh, in this case, we're going to say creator Lucasfilm. Uh, and I never thought I would see it. You know, I, I you know coming up and doing these these podcasts over the last decade, uh, I always thought there was just an incredible amount of trust. I mean, you look at a guy like Dave Filoni, who really has over the years endeared himself to Star Wars fans, and um, you know, this was the kind of guy that uh, earned that trust over years in uh, the development and uh, the creation of the Clone Wars and then into Rebels, and 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 he could spend that. Uh, like currency, um, you know, first we doubted about Ahsoka, but then he proved it right. And it, and it worked. And then we were a little bit uh, doubtful about uh, the Darth Maul thing, but he, but he proved it and, it and it worked. And then it got to the point where, you know what, if, if Dave Filoni's name is attached to this thing, uh, we're going to go along for the ride. And he earned that trust, but that trust uh, has eroded over time. It started with the force awakens. It continued with uh, the Last Jedi and, and and really kind of plunged there, and you know, frankly, uh, Solo unfortunately is reaping uh, some of that. And again, I'm a guy who likes the Last Jedi and who have actively sat and tried to deliberately not like it, but I but I but I do like it. But I also at the same time understand the problems that people have with it. Uh, and again, you know, unfortunately, Solo is the one that's uh, just kind of caught in the in the crosshairs of all of this. And then you couple with what we'll be talking about in just a few moments about what's going on online and sort of this showdown between, uh, you know, fans and and and, and uh, I, I don't even know what to call it. It, it, it. Fans versus Star Wars. I, what is it? It's very, very bizarre. Uh, and we'll, uh, you know, try to help you digest it all as we try to understand what's going on here in the uh, in Star Wars fandom. But uh, Jabba the Hutt was, was thrown out there. He was on the list. He was one of the potentials. He seemed like the natural to me. I don't know. You know, he says that, you know, the thought was that it might be funny. It might be comical. You know, maybe if Pizza the Hutt showed up, but Jabba the Hutt seemed very <laughs> logical. I, yeah, I can't imagine that being a punchline. That's the thing that kind of they thought that'd be funny. How is Jabba showing up funny? You know, if Jabba's on the scene, then it's like, oh, so he really is kind of solidifying his control of the galactic underworld. It sounds like a case of failure to realizing the best way to execute it. 
When Jabba first appeared on the silver screens back in 1983, theater audiences gasped. They couldn't believe it. Whoa. I mean, it was a whole... Not only were you taking in the big crime lord himself and his massive presence and size, you were taking in this entire environment that was around him that was so exotic but yet obvious the very second you set eyes on it. That was the stuff that made Jabba work so well when he first appeared on the screen. But yeah, you know, Jason, you brought a pizza the hut. I mean, there are things that have entered into the public pop culture consciousness that has sort of removed that mystery and exoticness from Jabba the Hutt, unfortunately. Do I you, think it can be brought back. I think it can be brought back. We got to take it back. Let's bring think, back the exotic quality of Jabba. Do you think there's also maybe a part of him that felt like there would be new fans watching this who may not have been exposed to Java and just wouldn't buy a giant slug being very um, intimidating? Well, I don't know. Well, I, I mean, that, that's what I mean. It, it comes down to the execution. Mm-hmm. Lucas and Richard Marquand and, 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 uh, and, and the production staff, uh, Robert Watts and Kazajian and all those guys, they, they really knew how to present it to fans of that era. We need well, filmmakers never, who never, know how to present it to fans of this era. I mean, I mean, Java is probably proven, I think, to be even more difficult than than Yoda. Uh, they've they've still not gotten Java right. You know, they tried with the special edition; that was uh, nightmarish. Mm. Uh, they tried with uh, Episode One. That I didn't was, mind that the special better. edition. I thought that was a hoot. But hey, that's it was me. awful. It was awful. Oh come on! I mean, the, the, first, idea... the first try was kind of weird. It sort of Jabba had a, a more gelatinous feel to him, like if Jello was made out of pixels. Especially now, when you look back at that first stab. But then Lucas went back and cleaned it up a little bit after he developed the technology to bring Jabba to Episode One. And I like seeing Jabba in Episode One. So he took that model and then incorporated it into the special edition, and that's what you got. And then there's been tweaks made along the way i never it's, felt it, like either of those jabba's felt as imposing as no, no, not, no. not even close not the even physical close. jabba was shot so well the lighting was perfect the cinematography was perfect it captured that exotic quality it really did yeah and they just they've uh again they've struggled with it as as probably more so than they did with with yoda uh I, I don't know what it is. You know, there's something very special about what happened there on the set when they were, uh, you know, giving us Yoda for the first time there on Dagobah and Empire Strikes Back, and then uh, Jabba in Return of the Jedi. As Jim said, it has a lot to do with lighting. It has a lot to do with you know the way that these characters were sort of envisioned in these environments. In '83, audiences gasped. Audiences, I was one of them. Gasped. Yeah, I was one of them. Yeah. All right, finally, uh, one more here as we uh, listen to this uh, podcast interview with Ron Howard from EmpireOnline.com. This is Ron talking about Kira's decision to not join Han at the end of the film. There's no happily ever after here for Kira and Han, and this is why. Kira is, um, she's traded not just for power. I mean, basically, in my mind... Mm. She knew she couldn't run off with Han. That they just—it would be his death and hers. Yeah. And 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 so she set him up 
to go, assuring him that she'd follow, but knowing she couldn't really. She had to clean this situation up as best as you know she could. And I think she sort of hoped she could report in and then disappear, but he trapped her. He said, "Come to Darthmore, and you know." And, and, and did I pronounce that right? I always get the <laughs> Darthmore. Uh, uh, um, the the uh, and uh, uh, and you're, we're going to be working closely together. And she, you realize, oh my God, she's traded one oppressive, um, you know, boss mm. uh, in for an even even scarier dude. And uh, so I, I thought it was, in a way, it fuels her ambition and puts her in position of heightened power. Perhaps, or 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 heightened danger. Well, everybody's done that. Everybody's quit their job because they can't stand their boss, and then the next boss is even worse. Right. So be careful what you wish for there. But that that's what happened uh, with Kira, and and I like the idea. I really loved the whole relationship between Kira and Han. I thought it was um, really well done. I thought that the you know the two actors had great chemistry yes. together, and that, that and that's and that's key. I haven't heard that's anyone key. bring that up. Really, is is the the incredible chemistry between Amelia Clark and Alden Ehrenreich? I really thought it was palpable. No, that was that's the Emperor's name. Palpable Emperor. Yeah, palpable. Emperor Palpable. She she's yeah. palpable. She she is. <laughs> she she's. Is. <laughs> She's fantastic, and uh, no, I, I the, again the, the 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 chemistry was there. They were great. They were believable as a couple. They were believable uh, when you when they reunited and they had all this history together, and you just you just believed it. Mm-hmm. And um, I like to think that she was trying to save Han. She wanted him out there. She said to him, "I know who you are. You're the good guy. You know, go off and um, you know be free to put good in the universe." I can't. I'm not in that position to do that. And she was trying to tell him in so many ways, um, you know, that um, she was in a completely different position than when the last time they met. And she spared him. And I I thought that was fantastic. Then with Darth Maul, you know, I I don't know that. I mean, Ron Howard is saying that, you know, maybe perhaps in her mind, she thought she was going to be able to rendezvous with Han. Right. And then she, you know, comes across Darth Maul. I didn't read the scene that way. I read the scene. She knew who she was dealing with. I think yeah. so. She knew yeah. who Va- Dryden Voss's boss That's was. That's why I thought this that- was a compelling thing to play for you, Jason and Steve, is because I thought the same thing you guys were thinking. I didn't get any indication that her heart was broken because she couldn't go off with her childhood fling. You know, I I felt like she was committed to the cause almost. And like someone who was a devotee of the Sith, she's not revealing all of her cards. Very Palpatine. Yeah, I think she's committed to her cause. Yeah. I think I think that after the life she's led. Oh, by the way, she, I'm not know, saying she's a Sith. By the way, no, no, I'm no, just no, saying no. you know, being exposed to that whole you know realm right. of whatever. I think I think that this is someone who, the way she grew up, the way she was always held down, held back, even by Dryden Voss. You know, she she did live in fear of him, but she was also, I think, trying to pull his strings here and there. You could see him trying to. You could see her at times manipulating him a little bit. I think that she's playing her game. I think she is she's working her way up the ladder to ultimately be the power. And yes. and I don't yes. know, I don't think she realizes the the extent of what's in her way with Maul. I I, I think that's true. I think that if you look at it, it's pretty clear that she was one of Lady Proxima's favorites. 
So True. she was she was she was able to. Um, I mean, look, she's running around with Han Solo. They get caught running away, and Lady Proxima has sympathy for Akira and says, "Oh, don't throw it away on 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 this guy. This guy's garbage. This guy's trash. You've got talent. You've got potential. Let's let's preserve you." And um, you can tell that she probably had a very similar effect, perhaps for different reasons, on Dryden Voss. So she's working her way, just like Steve's saying, up the ladder. And then all of a sudden, you know, uh, the immovable force meets the unstoppable object with uh, with Darth Maul, who's not going to be swayed. He's not going to be, you know, um, uh, taken aback by her her feminine wiles or, or or any of that. This is a guy that is just as cold as they come. And so she's really met her match. It's like boom. I think she's she stopped. Mm-hmm. She stopped. But I but I I think that all along, you know, throughout this film, she's had uh, Han's best interests at heart. And now I'm not saying that she would, you know, take a bullet for the guy or a blaster bolt for the guy. But at the same time, I think she found a convenient way to sort of satisfy both things. She got Han out of the out of the clear, and she also assassinated. You know, the crime boss so that she could rise up to the next level. Guys, what do you think of this concept? How about this for the next spin-off Star Wars film? They they announce it this summer at San Diego Comic-Con. You ready for this? Star Wars Crimson Dawn. And it is the origin of Crimson Dawn, which includes how Kira got involved, how Darth Maul survived and became the head of the whole thing. It all It all is around Darth Maul. And it includes everything you need to know to launch off the next phase of Star Wars films based around bringing iconic characters into this Crimson Dawn environment or influence along the way. I don't think it carries a film series. I think it definitely could carry a television series. Okay, or a TV series, you know. A lot, yeah. of, t- a lot of times I think of Solo. And I think about what happened on the silver screen and everything, and I, I think about how that could have played out as a TV series myself, or how that mythology established in this latest film can be extended via a television series. Bring in Alden. Bring in Donald Glover. Get them all, you know, and just make it a TV show. Make it a weekly TV show. What the hell? I just don't think it's possible. I just don't see it being possible. Maybe an anthology TV series would be the answer. Or a TV series that shifts from season to season, like True Detective, and it tells you a different story from different perspectives with different characters. That could be a potentially great Star Wars series. Yeah, I just don't see the evidence of that level of imagination. (laughs) Honestly, well, I'm throwing out it out this, there. There you go, free of charge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but you've said it now, and so they're going to want to undermine your expectations. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Now, Jimmy Mac wishes this. Make sure it doesn't happen, guys. Guys, um, I'm, I'm not. I'm not somebody who's complaining. So far, so good. I've been enjoying everything. Like Steve said, if it has Star Wars on it, we're going to buy it. We're going to go for it. I, I still feel the same way. We're at least going to try it out. We're at least going to try it out. No, I mean, I think that um, there's a lot of there, there's a lot of gold to be mined there within the whole Crimson Dawn and the uh, the underworld. Um, 
and I, but but I don't I don't necessarily want to. I don't I, I don't know I don't see it carrying a film series. Um, well, it, Jim, it, what, it's interesting that you say. Well, it's interesting that Jim says. You know, what's the next phase going to be? So, how do we phase? How do we define phase one? Phase one is the sequel trilogy proper, episode seven, eight, and nine, mm-hmm. and as well as the two filler films, Rogue One and Han Solo, or you know, you know, Solo: A Star Wars Story. Mm-hmm. Is that that's going to wrap up phase one? Well, I think the, the course, standalone films, that, the the Star mm-hmm. Wars story films, is something that can just be a constant dotting along the the landscape i'm not saying even bring them all together like marvel does you know i'm not even suggesting anything like that i think if you have a crimson dawn storyline that utilizes the criminal underground of the star wars universe as the motivating element to fight against as opposed to the giant galactic conflict with vader and palpatine and all those big shots uh i think it it would be greatly utilized in a film series or a tv series and then dot along the way you know just drop in those star wars stories wherever you want to give us kenobi give us boba fett give us vader do you want to give yeah. us Yoda? I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, what you laid out, what you laid out for like the origin of the Crimson Dawn and how Darth Maul, that sounds like something more that would be done in a book. That sounds like something that Del Rey would pick up. Yeah, those House. books are, oh, no, not the books. I'm just telling you, that's what it sounds like to me, or there'll be a comic I don't series, want to talk you know? about the books and the comics and stuff. I'm just telling you. I love the comic books lately. I I have. I really have. I've been encouraging Jason. Jason, read these books. Say, here, check them out all online. We have them all. We have them all. I buy them for Rebel Force Radio. Jason, don't read them. Don't read them. I'm reading them. Jason, don't read them. I just. I just keep forgetting. I, I know they're there. I, I'll go. I'll go back to them. I, I think Steve's right. I, I think that that. I think that. Uh, they would see that as great fodder for a, a book series or, you know, I could hear it right now. Star Wars, Crimson Dawn. It sounds like a novel. It doesn't sound like a film uh, to me. But while we're talking about films, while we're talking about the future of Star Wars, uh, have you guys seen all this news that's being made about uh, George Lucas's uh, his original outlines for episodes seven, eight, and nine—they're—they're they're showing up. People are people are flipping out. The headlines: George Lucas's Star Wars sequels would have probably killed the franchise, according to Fatherly. <laughs> oh, no. I, I've even heard. I, yeah, that's what they're saying. I've even heard that there's another headline out there. Uh, you know, George Lucas's uh, original sequel trilogy would have been completely insane. Why? I mean, these are the kinds of words. These are the kinds of words uh, that are being used now. So there's a new book out called James Cameron's Story of Science Fiction. Mm-hmm. And that is, the, it's a companion to that, uh, that, that series. The TV show. Have AMC. you seen that? Yeah. Have you seen it, Steve? Have you uh, seen it? I have not seen it, no. I've seen a few episodes yeah. of it. They, there was one about aliens. It was kind of cool. George was in it briefly. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, George revealed that he said, you want to know where I get my inspiration for the aliens in Star Wars? Go visit your local public aquarium, mm-hmm. and you will see <laughs> exactly where I get my ideas from. It's a oh, really, aquatic life, aquatic life, which which is 
you know, I mean, in terms of uh, diversity and uh, the look, I mean, you can't find, you know, really a collection of of creatures more uh, diverse in appearance than, uh, you know, aquatic life. It's it's really it's really incredible. And that, the that deeper you go, the deeper you go, the crazier it gets. Yeah. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Um, but um, so anyway, th- there's this book that's uh, going to be coming out and. In the book, um, George Lucas is is quoted about some of the things that um, might have been a part of Episode 789 had his original outlines been what they used. Uh, so uh, George said, the next three Star Wars films were going to get into a, a microbiotic world. But there's this world of creatures that operate differently than we do. I call them the wills. And the wills are the ones who actually control the universe. They feed off the force. So much has been made, oh my God. fellas, about this, this uh, into a microbiotic world. And people are taking this very literally. And they're like, oh, my gosh, is this going to be like, what was the movie where, you know, Inner Space, where the guy was... You know, flying around. Dennis Quaid was flying around uh, Martin Short's body. Hold on, hold on, hold on. We have an exclusive here. Uh, George Lucas just released this statement to Rebel Force Radio. His intended title for Star Wars Episode 7 was supposed to be Star Wars Episode 7, Honey, I Shrunk the Jedi. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well... (laughs) But everyone's talking about, okay, you know, we were going to get into a microbiotic world. When I read that, I didn't sit there and think that we were talking about, Mm -hmm. you know, these little organisms fighting each other. I thought what he was talking about was really doubling down on this idea of the midichlorians. Yes, yes. And that he was going to explore that and how these, uh, you know, midichlorians are, you know, what determine uh, the level of abilities and connection to the force and all of that. That people have, uh, you know, almost like a, a, a genetic, uh, I don't know quite how to describe it, but he was going to operate from that level. I didn't think it was going to be like under a microscope and you're going to see these little organisms fighting each other. And that's just plain silly. But everyone's taking it very literally and saying, oh, thank God. Oh, we're so glad that George Lucas is. Around. But, you know, these movies look a lot better to us now. Holy cow! I was ready to put, I was ready to boycott these movies, and then I read what a complete buffoon George Lucas is. Well, that's incredible timing, isn't it? Well, look, here's the thing: the minute he says focusing in on the wheels, come on, I I, I don't care if it's microbiotic, macrobiotic. I don't care if it's probiotic. I I think it would be <laughs> like yogurt. I, to get into George Lucas's take on all that would be. Fantastic. We got a little taste of that, sort of, in the Yoda arc of the Clone Wars. Uh uh, Jason, you mentioned this, and I haven't seen any of these articles, but I'm looking at one here from Collider right now where uh, they have some quotes from Mark Hamill about what was going to happen originally, um, according to what Lucas had told him. And here's a quote out of this article. Let's be honest. After the disastrous prequel trilogy, did we really want to see <laughs> Lucas back in control? Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, yeah, see, let, this let, is... 
Hey, let's mm. let's let's throw Tolkien out of Middle Earth while we're at it. Come on, right? Exactly. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's unfortunate way, way, what, George what? couldn't suffer the storm. I mean, it, it was social media was new, it was growing, and uh, George looked at it and walks the f- <laughs> out of there because <laughs> yeah, he's he saw the storm that was coming now, yeah. and the storm is hitting hard and fast. And well, what we're dealing with, our well, Star you know, Wars creators can't deal with that sort of level of well, back and back, forth with fandom. They need to pull yeah, back. back then, look back then, the media was content to call George Lucas racist. Yeah, and right. Now, oh, yes. Right. And now, now, now it's the fans are the ones that are racist. You know, George was racist because of the Nemoidians. George, George was racist because of Jar Jar Binks. And most of us, those with common sense, laughed this off. This is a man who is now, of course, married to a beautiful African American woman, and of course, he was fending off these uh, trolls who were calling him racist back then in the dial-up days. Um, but that's not, but. You know they weren't content to do that. Now they're turning their their uh, their claws out on the fans and anybody who uh, has anything critical to say about the films. Of course, it's you know you can't. It's beyond criticism because of the fact that uh, it's now racist or sexist to criticize uh, any of the uh, any of the thinking that goes on there at Lucasfilm. Never it's, thought it's I'd verboten. see that. Never thought I'd it's see verboten. It's verboten. Yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, moving on here. Uh, so George was talking about this. Uh, I don't. Again, I don't believe that this was a, uh, a. I don't think this was meant to be taken literally. I think George is talking um, sort of metaphorically. Um, but he was going to. He was going to double down on this idea of the midichlorians. I have never been a big fan of the whole midichlorian concept. Uh, one of the things that I really loved about J.J. Uh, Abrams and his vision is. And I do believe, and I use that word very deliberately, I believe that J.J. Abrams had and has vision for Star Wars. I think he's a very visionary guy. I don't always agree with everything that he says and everything that he does. Who does? But one thing I will say for the guy, I think he does have tremendous vision. And I think that he had an idea for all three of these films. Mm-hmm. But the culture at Lucasfilm and the culture of Bad Robot did not get along. I don't think it was all, uh, you know, lollipops and roses as it's been portrayed. And I think J.J. needed a break. Uh, First of all, J.J. had to lobby now not once but two times to get an extension on the release dates of these films because he doesn't want to be rushed. Perhaps Ryan Johnson might have been he might have been served uh, doing something similar. Um, But. Anyway, so you have J.J., I believe that he has a vision and, um, you know, has, has, I think, been able to bring that vision to life uh, perhaps better than uh, some of the others that have attempted this in the modern, you know, Star Wars uh, cinematic universe. Um, but J.J. wanted to bring the Force back. He wanted to bring it back down to Earth. He wanted to make you feel that you could be a Jedi or that 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 it was out there and it was attainable for uh not just these uh you know the members of the uh the lucky Metaclorian club. Well, right? well, well, okay. I the thing is I, I don't know. I don't want to make I don't want to turn this into a referendum on Metaclorians. But <laughs> no, but there's to a, speak from the heart, you know. There's a key word that Qui-Gon t- gives to Anakin when he's explaining to Anakin what the Metaclorians are. He says they're they're an organism that resides in all all living cells. 
The force is, Yoda says, life creates it. It makes it grow. That that it's not just that you can't be a Jedi if you don't have the, It's that these midichlorians, the more there are, the more you are able to tap into the force. There's, that the Jedi had found something biological to examine or to explain, you know, to help find force-sensitive students or force users and that sort of thing. And... And that's part of the problem with the Jedi during the prequel era is they had begun to rely more on technology than faith. But also and to take it out of universe, George Lucas was using it as a storytelling device to tell, explain to the audience why Anakin, a kid from the middle of nowhere, has now all of a sudden become in Qui-Gon Jinn's appreciation the chosen one there right. had to be something there to it, sure the kid could drive a mean pod racer but i mean <laughs> that can't be the only thing that indicates to qui-gon that this kid has special abilities qui-gon even takes it a step further it's not like anakin is a likely candidate to become a jedi knight someday anakin skywalker is the chosen one so there has to be some sort of cinematic device that an audience could latch on to and say, well, at least he's got the highest midichlorian count of all time, more than even Master Yoda. And Master Yoda, up until that point, was the standard for the highest exalted Jedi Knight of all time. Think about it. Wasn't Yoda really the top standard of Jedi Knight as we rolled into the fourth Star Wars major motion picture in 1999, The Phantom Menace? Of course he was. He was the standard. And so when Obi-Wan says, this kid, this nine-year-old, has more of this force stuff in him than Yoda, all it does is just help us cut to the chase so we realize why Qui-Gon Jinn considers Anakin Skywalker to be the chosen one. We need something to latch onto. It, it has to be more than Mace Windu sitting in that room with an iPad and Anakin guessing what's on it. A ship? A cup. A cup. A ball? A cup. A, cu- a, cu- a, a cup. A cup. A ship? A speeder. 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 I see a speeder right in front of me. Yeah. Mm. And he just nods at Yoda. We need something a little bit more. And so when he's got more than 20,000, and he says more than Master Yoda, we know we're dealing with a really uh, legitimate claim to the chosen one prophecy. And it cuts us to the chase. You know, these guys could sit there and talk about it for 10 minutes, but maybe that would float for some people. But... Back in the late '90s, that's how films were just—they kind of you know rolled out that way. And well, but a lot and, of and, a lot was left open to uh, interpretation too. Sure, and with that though, there also comes this idea in the aforementioned Collider article I was just quoting. He talks about the Last Jedi and how it challenged our thoughts and what we think about Star Wars. And a lot of people have have lauded the fact that the Last Jedi has challenged the way we see the Force and challenged the way we see Star Wars. Yes. Well, so the hell did uh, the prequels. Absolutely they you did. Know? And George Lucas called that out. The first interview I saw George Lucas really talk in depth about the prequels was in 1996. And it was in a magazine. God, I, I can dig it up out of the old Rebel Force Radio archives. But he was talking about how the prequels, they were going to change our perception of the original three films. And as an original trilogy fan, I looked at that and I said, oh, my God, that's impossible. 
That's impossible. But as I open myself up and let the mythology flow through me, it actually does change the way you look at that original trilogy if you yes. try to piece it all together. And I think that's a good thing. I think yes. it's okay to look at it from different angles and introduce well, new elements of the mythology that make you look back at older elements of the mythology because well, sure. it keeps it all alive. It keeps it all vibrant. That's, well, those are the midi-chlorians at work. And so that's my thing is is like these people who have said, "Oh, thank God, Lucas didn't have anything to do with it." No, don't thank God of that. I, I, you know, I I don't for as much as I've liked some of the stuff that they've put out in the Disney era of Star Wars. Man, would I love to have had George Lucas's sequel trilogy? You know, I, that's something that that we should be like. Oh man, it'd be really neat. I hope we could. I wish there was a treatment that we could get our hands on one day. I wish you know. I wish he would kind of come out and talk about that more in detail, you know, just to kind of hear and get a feel for it. Not, oh, thank God. Oh, thank the force this didn't happen. That would have been terrible. It's like, it's it's the weirdest thing to me. You know, I think we could have had it, Steve. I think we could have had it. I think when George Lucas sold the company off, he was considering himself part of that asset, Mm-hmm. That he was not only selling Lucasfilm to Disney and the Star Wars brand, but he was selling George Lucas to them, too. I think he was really attaching himself to the property when he sold it initially. And, uh, yeah, I guess it's a case of having your cake and eating it, too, when the paycheck was $4.5 billion. But George really was, I think, an essential chemical element in the Star Wars brand. As much as ILM, as much as Skywalker Sound, as much as uh, Lucasfilm itself. I mean, George Lucas was an important element, and I think he was including himself as added value to that deal. That's why he was developing Episode 7 prior to the sale. That's why he was developing the solo standalone film prior to the sale is because he wanted to keep the ball rolling, but he didn't want the burden of running a company. He didn't want the burden of being responsible for the bottom line because he's an artist and he wanted to keep his art vibrant and alive, but he recognized in the dire economic situations of the time and also the blowback from the local community when he wanted to build a studio at Grady Ranch in Marin County, adjacent to or down the road from Skywalker Ranch, you know, part of that area. You know, George has Grady Ranch, had Grady Ranch. He he since sold it off for low income housing. He still owns Skywalker Ranch, where a lot of Lucasfilm activity happens. And he also owns Big Rock Ranch, where the George Lucas Education Foundation resides. And it is now the commercial home for Skywalker Vineyards. So when George got cut down by that local community after he tried to build a film studio there for almost 20 years on Grady Ranch, and he kept getting cut off at the ankle. So he finally gave up. And at that point, that's when I think he realized, I cannot maintain Star Wars under my own terms 
under my own bankroll anymore. I need some economic foundation, and Disney is the place to keep the brand alive. And so by selling it to Disney, he felt like he was also going to sell himself and his expertise and his foundership of Star Wars that was part of the deal. That's why he was developing stuff. Can't you guys see it? He was developing the story outlines for the sequel trilogy. Once the sale was made and he lost the control, other creatives were brought in and they took over and excluded Lucas from contributing to the direction of episode seven. They slammed the door shut in his face. That's when George stepped away and had that famous interview when he basically (laughs) let it all hang out. They looked at the stories and they said, we want to make something for the fans. So I said, all I want to do is tell a story of what happened. You know, it started here and it went there. And it's all about generations and it's about, you know, the issues of fathers and sons and grandfathers. And it's a family soap opera. I mean, ultimately, I mean, we call it space opera, but people don't realize it's actually a soap opera. And it's all about family problems and that kind of, it's not about spaceships. So they decided they didn't want to use those stories. They decided they were going to go do their own thing, and so I decided, fine. But basically, I'm not going to try to... They weren't that keen to have me involved anyway, but at the same time, I said, I'm not going to... If I get in there, I'm just going to cause trouble because they're not going to do what I want them to do. So, And I don't have the control to do that anymore, and all I would do is muck everything up. So I said, okay, I will go my way and I'll let them go their way. (laughs) So, but now that we look back in retrospect and we're able to connect the dots because we couldn't back then, but now that we're able to, it's all painting a very clear picture that George was forced out. He was so forced out and it hurts me to say that. Oh yeah. I hate it. I hate it for George. I hate it for star Wars because you know, Remember, he brought in Kathleen Kennedy to run Lucasfilm before the sale. And and I really think that his plan was to have her run, to have her come in and take over Star Wars. But with him not selling Lucasfilm, with him still, I guess, I don't know, President Emeritus or whatever you would call it, that he would have that say-so, that he would have that voice within his company. And And it really does seem like not long after that sale that he was just out. You know. Yeah, I think that it was about, you know, getting someone in there to run the business so that he could make movies. Right. And write movies and, and, and further that. And there was a whole lot he wanted to do. I mean, there, there, there's no question that that Star Wars was the engine that was running Lucasfilm. That was that was the engine that was running it so that he could do all these other things. I mean, look at Pixar as a great example, look at, uh, you know, Industrial Light and Magic. You look at Skywalker Sound. You look at THX. You look at all these different things that are the beneficiaries that are sort of the children of the engine that is Star Wars. There are some interesting things. Um, this goes back. I got to pick up this book, uh, this book that we're talking about, um, uh, the James Cameron's story of science fiction. Uh, the companion to the AMC miniseries, because uh, there are some really incredible things that are talked about um, here. What what leads to that 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 um, statement that George had about the microbiotic world of episode seven, eight, and nine was 
questions about you know our own universe, our own solar system. Uh, George says, I, I keep telling people, look, we're not going to save the planet. Are you kidding? We don't have any power to save anything, which is strange because some people believe we have the power to destroy the planet. So we don't have the power to save it. I don't know how we have the power to destroy it. But the planet's going to be okay. It'll look like Mars, but it's going to be fine. Who knows? Mars may have been like Earth and lost its atmosphere. I still think they're going to find life on Mars. I'm absolutely convinced of it. There's going to be life all over the solar system. Everybody hated it in Phantom Menace. Just, just everybody hated it in Phantom Menace. This is what George is saying. Uh, when we started to talk about midichlorians, there's a whole aspect to that movie that is about symbiotic relationships mm-hmm. to make you look and see that we aren't the boss, that there's an ecosystem here. You know, it's interesting, though, that he mentions that that's kind of an underlying theme of The Phantom Menace, the idea of a symbiotic relationship, because they also... Um, Obi-Wan tells Boss Nass, you and the Naboo form a symbiotic circle. You must see that. And then mm-hmm. later... When Qui-Gon is giving Anakin the midichlorian speech, he said they're symbionts living, you know, organisms living with an organism for a mutual benefit. And so, and then as you look... He's smacking us with a hammer two times right in the face. Yeah, I mean, it's you know what, I've got to go, I yeah. need to go back and watch that movie, though, and see what else is in there with that, with that theme in mind. Because that is, that is intriguing, that he would say, this is one of the themes I want people to see. And then as you get into the balance of the Force concept and the aspect of of things working together for a mutual benefit you you really can start to expand upon that concept throughout the rest of the whole saga at least those six movies and um hmm guys i've got to go watch star wars as someone yeah, who let's is go watch some star wars as someone who's a loyal devotee of the secret history of star wars the book itself and the audio book, which I recommend everyone check out at audible.com slash RFR. And you can get it right now for your free audiobook download uh, if you're a first-time subscriber. But um, it's a, a really great book, and it, it really shows you the history of George Lucas's evolving perceptions about Star Wars. And sometimes the way his perceptions evolved was very different from the way it finally ended up on screen and locked into the mythology itself. So it's gone through so much evolution along the way that it's really hard to even keep track of all the different directions that George Lucas himself has stated that the film's going to go into because he's contradicted himself so many times. So uh, that that's really, I, I, I couldn't recommend... Well, I, I- or has he evolved? You know, I, I think well, that of that's course, the other thing too. and and that's you know, that's artwork. Artwork, here. artwork evolves, and George, yeah. of course, has certainly evolved right in front of our face, time and time again, via the special editions and all of the digital editions he's added to the films over the years with their various releases. Most notably, that Blu-ray release in. Uh, in uh, 20, uh, 2011, it was uh, it was mind blowing that he had continued to add and add and, and he would still have been doing it up till now. But yeah. unfortunately, the property has been removed from his control, so he can't right. do that stuff anymore. So uh, James Cameron replies to his uh, comment about, you know, the microbiotic world and uh you know, I call them the wills. and The wills are the ones that actually control the force. He says, you are creating a religion, George. 
George says, back in the day, I used to say, ultimately, what this means is we're, we're just cars, vehicles for the wills to travel around in. We're vessels for them. And the conduit is the midichlorians. The midichlorians are the ones that communicate with the wills. The wills, in general sense, they are the force. Hmm. Cameron says, but you're putting detail in the facade of science around an idea that's pretty timeless. Wow, calling him out. So many people wanted to do that to Lucas back in 1999. And here's Cameron actually doing it. But finish that statement, Jason. What does he say? You're putting the facade of science around what? He says, you're, but you're putting a detail in the facade of science around an idea that's pretty timeless, which is the spirit, the yes, soul, heaven, yes. causation. Uh-huh. But in your world building, you're going back to archetype, which is spirit, the Godhead, all that sort of thing. George says, all the way back to with the force and the Jedi and everything. The whole concept of how things happen was laid out completely from the beginning to the end. But I never got to finish. Hmm. I never got to tell people about it. Oh, he, for four point five billion dollars, he didn't, he sold out. If he, are we really going to listen to a George Lucas lamenting the fact he couldn't continue with Star Wars? Well, that you know what? This just illustrates my point. When George sold the brand to Disney, he intended to include himself, his guidance of the brand, as. An added but, value, but that's but that's what we were promised. We were promised that's what that. we were promised. I remember uh, the the YouTube videos uh-huh. of Kathy Kennedy sitting there with Lynn Hale, Bob Kathy Iger, Kennedy, Lynn yeah, Hale, and George uh, sitting around Bob, a table at Skywalker yes. Ranch talking about the direction of the future. To to I mean, it was a multi part series on StarWars.com. It was supposed to settle us as fans to let us know it was going into the right direction. We were assured that the legacy and George and everything was going to be included in the future of Star Wars. I just said that I would I would back her up and I would be there if uh, you know and especially helping with the with the script and making sure the script sort of there's a lot of blank spots in the story treatment that hopefully we can fill in. And... I think the incredible thing about George is you know this is not like a series of books like Harry Potter where you've already got a template of what the stories right. might be. These are these are original stories and original ideas that come out of a world that essentially is in George's head. So the beauty of the collaboration that can continue is as we work our way through these scripts, if we're sitting and saying, hmm, you know, I wonder if, uh, if this character can do that or... Does this make sense within the rules of Star Wars? That really, he's the keeper of the well, flame when it comes the, to it's, that. It's the same thing with the first three films. That's all my job is, is to be the keeper of the flame. That guy George flipped. was part of the deal. George was part of the deal. Bob yes. Iger talking about it. He was going to be on as a, as a consultant. He was going to stay on. He was going to remain. And a lot of us, you know, keep in mind, this was right on the heels of the Clone Wars. And we saw how powerful... And uh, important the relationship was between George Lucas and Dave Filoni. And uh, you, look, we covered every single episode of that series. We were critical where it was merited and we, we, we praised it where that was merited. But at the end of the day, we always knew that, well, you know, what are you going to do? It's George. It's his universe. He created it. And so we're here to comment on it. Um, and that we, you took the bitter with the sweet. And that was that. That's what we thought we were getting in this new era of Star Wars. 
that was owned and controlled by Disney, you were still going to have the influence. You're still going to have the maker involved. And uh, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. So at any rate, I do want to pick up that book. I I, I love the fact that uh, George is, uh, you know, more outspoken than he used to be. But to me, it seems as though all of this is just very presciently timed. And I'm not going to say that this is all, you know, some big conspiracy or whatever. But the thing that no one seems to be really talking about now is the performance of Solo at the box office, Mm -hmm. the relationship between uh, Star Wars as a brand and the fans. It's it's very, very, very uh, ugly out there online. I think the relationship and the trust, the erosion of trust between the brand, Lucasfilm, Star Wars, and the fans is at at an all-time low. And it shows. It shows in the people. Look, Star. I I said this last time. Solo isn't um, underperforming at the box office because people don't like the movie. It's underperforming at the box office because they're not going to see the movie. So this idea that it's a bunch of... uh, uh, racists, bigots, homophobes, sexists, that uh, or, or toxic Star Wars fans, which is the new buzzword that is that is wrecking Solo, is is not the case. They're not going to the movie. They're not going to the movie. Why are they not going to the movie? Because one, they fundamentally, in a lot of cases, disagreed with the direction that the company took with characters like, I don't know, Luke Skywalker. In episode eight, not only fundamentally disagreed, but were then lampooned, made fun of, and called terrible names online by the very people that are in positions, paid positions, to promote the brand and to create synergy within the fan community. They're the ones that are going out there and saying that these people are wrongheaded and not just wrongheaded, not just uh, challenging their opinions and their interpretations of what's going on in the films, but getting very, very personal, calling them names, things that are very, very serious. The name calling that's going on right now has serious consequences for people and their lives and in some cases their careers. How dare you? How dare you? bring that level of judgment into a sci-fi fantasy series that we're here to have a good time talking about. How dare you try to inoculate yourself from criticism by dragging in all of these uh, modern-day political issues that you know are controversial, that you know that there is a, uh, a very, very deep divide in our modern culture about some of these issues and then you hide behind them like little cowards so that you can you can in some way shield yourself from criticism so if somebody dare say that they don't believe that this character was flushed out that this character is inconsistent or incongruent with the Star Wars universe you're going to turn around and say that they are morally deficient because they don't see your vision how dare you Good God. 
Yeah, but the sad thing is, is it appears that the company that is providing this entertainment for us is encouraging this sort of behavior. And they're letting their creators run wild and incite these exact people you're talking about, Jason. And also, by doing so, they incite the other people on the other side, too. And we're standing here on an island in the middle watching these two factions clash with each other with brute force and wicked strength over what? An entertainment property? Okay? I mean, this is foolish and it's ridiculous. And it's only because, unfortunately, the creators of Star Wars have been able to run rampant on social media and really disgrace the brand. And that's why I call for a social media policy to be instilled on all people who work on Star Wars and earn a paycheck from Lucasfilm. Lucasfilm employees, Lucasfilm independent contractors, Lucasfilm creators, actors, they need to tame down all of the fighting back because it's all about feeding the trolls. This is not about respecting anyone who wants to attack creators. We also ask for them. I mean, ask, screw it. We're telling you, shut up. Just shut up. Quit taking out all of your angst on people who are making movies that are supposed to entertain us. But it's just this wicked vortex we're finding ourselves in. And it's like a dog chasing its tail. And the problem is, is the minute that someone comes along and wants to have a discussion about their issues with <clears throat> the direction of a character, the direction of a story, um, the the look or feel of a film that maybe, you know, that is Star Wars, that, that doesn't seem like Star Wars, wanting to have an honest conversation, then suddenly they get ostracized and treated like you know like dirt and they and they begin to be if you have an issue with this character and the way this character was portrayed or as jason said not fleshed out if if you don't like the canto bite sequence in the last jedi then that makes you a racist or a misogynist and and there's no intelligent discussion about the making of the film the mythology of star wars the purpose of star wars as lucas originally set out and now people are rewriting history and they're trying to rewrite what it was all about and 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 those of us who've been around for 41 years as fans literally my entire life a star wars fan am now just an old fanboy, which is being used as a derogatory term, and 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 I just need to sit down. So so the minute I'm told, well, I'm just a fanboy and I just need to sit down, my response is, like George Lucas, okay, I'll see you because I have a life to deal with and I have other things that you know that are on my plate that I need to handle. Uh, you know, I I started ten years ago. I started Geek Out Loud. Because I liked movies that other people didn't like. I liked the prequels. I like, and I wanted a place where you could have intelligent discussion without breaking down into those old school geek battles where we just started calling each other stupid or saying this sucks or using using phrases like raped my childhood without all of that mess. And now that has crept back into fandom. And and it's crept back in, in, in su to such a degree that there are some evil people out there doing some nasty things for I don't know what their motivation is. And the response seems to be, if you disagree with anything creatively, if you disagree with anything this way, then we're going to lump you in with this whole group of people. Mm -hmm. We're going to lump you in with all of those evil people. And what that causes then 
is for people like me to either A, step out and say, I'm done, I don't want to be a part of this, or B, to just kind of start to use the tactics of the people they've been thrown in with. Because, hell, if you think I'm that way, I'm just going to act that way. And, yeah. And, yeah, if you're going to lie about what my opinions are, then, you know, fine, you want to hear what my opinion I'm, I'm going to tell you, you're, you're going to lie about them anyway. Right. So I might as well. So I might as well tell you. I, I think what's really fascinating here, and um, I've got. I, I went back and I looked because John Boyega has been um, following suit with, you know, what we found fault with, uh, you know, guys like Chuck Went Chuck Wendig. You know, these are these are people who are stewards of the brand. Uh, they are they are ambassadors uh, of the brand, and I don't think that is their place. Look, I'm not going to use the word rights here, okay? This is not about rights and freedom of speech and all of that. You know, you want to go talk about that? Go listen to another podcast. Go turn on any uh, 24-hour news network. You can talk all you want about rights. Go watch C-SPAN. What we're talking about is what's appropriate, okay? And I don't believe that it's necessarily – I'm old school. I don't believe that it's appropriate for a brand to sit there online and argue with a bunch of uh, useful idiots and defend themselves. Because you know what happens when you sit and you argue with an idiot long enough? No one watching is going to be able to tell the difference. Right? You just keep – so the media is just eating this up. You know, they just love this. But if you go back uh, to October 20th, 2015 – I've got a story here from the New York Daily News, and the headline is Handful of Star Wars Fans Get Hashtag Boycott Star Wars 7 to Trend Claims New Film Promotes White Genocide. Now, everyone knows this is the big trailer that came out on Black Friday uh, that gave us our first glimpse of Episode 7, and one of the first things we saw was uh, uh, John Boyega in the Stormtrooper taking off the helmet, and revealing that he's, you know, an, an, an African, a, a dark-skinned um, uh, character uh, who was uh, clearly a, uh, a stormtrooper. And apparently, and I, I have to go back and look at some of these things, I do barely remember, if you go back to our archives, I'm sure we covered some of this, this, this boycott Star Wars 7. But yes. the New York Daily News uh, said it was, a, it was a handful of fans. They got it to trend. Some of these people were crazy. And, and here's the, the, the real crime is that uh, I, I got news for some of you uh, fellow Star Wars uh, fanatics out there. Uh, it's not a very simple universe to grok for a lot of people. Believe it or not, there are some people that, that don't understand the difference between clones and stormtroopers. And so when John Boyega's face popped up on that, uh, in that trailer, some people go, well, wait a minute, I'm confused. Wait a minute. Shouldn't he look like Tim Morrison? Right. I mean, they might not have said shouldn't he look like Tim Morrison, but uh, shouldn't that be like uh, the clones? We just saw these movies where they all looked the same. They were all the same guy. And those people got lumped in with some really vile people out there that mm -hmm. used the, uh, you know, the opportunity of the new Star Wars movie to promote their agenda of racist, you know, blatant racist crap that has no place anywhere. But what I appreciate is at that time, the New York Daily News was at least honest and said, this is a handful of Star Wars fans. They really showed them for the fringe elements they are. Now, where the dishonesty comes is they don't really, and, and I don't know if this is as much dishonesty as it is ignorance, don't understand why some people were incredulous and, and, and questioning 
somebody that looked like John Boyega being a stormtrooper when a lot of folks, your average Star Wars uh, viewer out there, was just educated in the fact that all the stormtroopers look alike. So immediately those people get lumped in and then it becomes a, a big deal. Uh, so that's back in 2015. Now we've got uh, John Boyega, uh, again, following in the footsteps of uh, Chuck Wendig and, and, and really sort of uh, taking it to fans, going so far as to saying, and responding to critics of where his character was taken in episode eight is just saying, we don't care. And that's, that's a quote right from his, his Twitter feed. We don't care. With him engaging the trolls. That's the unfortunate right. thing. He puts a quote out there like that and that's going to stick to him like glue. Don't add fuel to the fire. Don't fan the flames. It just gets worse and worse and worse. Yeah, I mean, it all started where he said, um, if you don't like Star Wars or the characters, understand that there are decision makers and harassing the actors, actresses will do nothing. Agreed. Not entitled to politeness when your approach is rude, even if you paid for a ticket. I have no problem with any of that. No. I have no problem with that. I, I think that's John trying to say, hey, wake up, people. You know, there's the people that write this stuff. Shh. There's the people that direct right. this stuff. And then there's us. We're paid to, you know, breathe life into it. I'm... I'm a hired gun. I'm not going to sit there and lecture Ryan Johnson on, on how he should be uh, uh, writing Star Wars. Of course not. I have no problem with any of that. And then he said to the majority of Star Wars fans, and I appreciate the fact that he says to the majority of Star Wars fans, thank you for supporting and putting yourselves in our shoes. You understand that there is a process uh, so much appreciated. But what, what, what is sort of fueling all of this is this rage and this anger that people have that Kelly Marie Tran rose from episode eight, um, left Instagram, deleted all of her Instagram posts, and everyone is jumping this to this conclusion that it, that it has to be because of the racist and sexist vulgarities that have been directed her way uh, from, from these trolls. And I'm certainly not going to say that that didn't happen. I'm sure it did happen. I mean, you know what? I'm not Kelly Marie Tran. I wasn't in a Star Wars movie yet. If you look, you search my name on Twitter, you'll see all kinds of things associated with me. So if you're in any kind of public spotlight, you're going to get this kind of treatment. It is just a very, very sad um a byproduct of being in any form of the public eye. And of course, we don't receive the volume of hatred that someone who works on a Star Wars film would receive. But in my opinion, just like one tweet is enough. I mean, that's enough to shatter you. And there's been so much of that out there that it makes me feel very sympathetic for her. If that was indeed the case, why she had to remove herself from from Instagram or whatever she was on. I just don't understand why it's like so important for these people who are in the public eye, the way they are to be so attracted to social media accounts. It's because that's how they're being raised. Now, back in the old days, when all of this social media stuff started to take off, celebrities and people in the public eye, would keep it off at arm's length. But 
you know, things have evolved uh, in the last five years, especially, especially when you consider we have major political players uh, making policy on Twitter at three in the morning. It's like, okay, well, I'm starting to understand, but it's still not anything that I think people in the public eye should be like so attracted to putting themselves out there for all of that stuff. Well, and the, you know they 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 tried to to do the same, you know, create the same narrative around Daisy Ridley, and say that Daisy Ridley uh, left Twitter or left uh, Instagram because uh, she was you know being exposed to all this sexism and all this blatant harassment and all that stuff. First of all, look. Anybody, again, that's in the public eye, even on a small scale, is going to endure a certain level of harassment. It's unfortunate. It's horrible. We wish that it didn't happen. Believe me, I wish it didn't happen. But it's just part of it. But Daisy Ridley, uh, this goes back to 2016. You know, she said, look, um, she just the, the pressure of growing up in front of millions of people was not something she was looking forward to. Uh, she was also quoted as saying that um, she believes that that social media is unhealthy, that she just isn't really all that into, uh, you know, sort of uh, taking pictures. She finds finds it. She found it kind of weird. She said, I'd prefer to have a conversation than uh, someone asking for a picture. Uh, but I guess I feel people that they need to prove that they had an interaction through social media. So, you know, she had enough. It, it didn't take her very long to realize that it wasn't, unfortunately, it wasn't a luxury that she could afford because of who she is and and her role. And she graciously uh, bowed out. You never saw her taking it to fans. I go back to things we've said on previous uh, episodes. You never saw Dave Filoni taking it to the fans because they didn't. You know, fall in love with Ahsoka Tano at first blush took time and it took the buildup of of trust and um, a buildup of that relationship between Dave and the audience. Um, But now all of a sudden, if you have any kind of a grievance as a fan of all of a sudden, you don't you don't have to worry about other fans coming in and attacking you. You got to worry about friggin Finn himself coming uh with his lightsaber ready to cut your throat right and then Uh, all the online blogs and articles that get launched in the wake of that condemning toxic male fandom and all of this stuff and you're calling out i don't know who you're calling out because everyone's painting in these broad general strokes Right. So, I mean, basically, then you're lumping not only a certain segment of society, but an entire generation, maybe a few generations into a single pile. And it gets it very hard to even breathe in a society like that. Look, look, here's the thing. We live, you know, ever since uh, November, what was it, November 7th of 2016 in the United States in particular, and it spilled over into other parts of the world, and we know and we respect and we love all of you that are listening from outside the United States. Don't mean to be U.S.-centric here, but it has spilled over. It's been a very, very volatile time politically. And unfortunately, it, it, it has spilled over into a lot of different parts of our, of, our, of our culture. So you have people really on both sides that are using politics as sort of the, the – uh, the the center of their arguments uh, and they're debating about a a fantasy franchise. You know, it's silliness. So you've got people on both sides that are using that as the basis to argue their points. 
And then all of a sudden, anybody that has any kind of, uh, you know, conscientious objection to a creative direction that Lucasfilm has taken with any of these films or any of these characters, all of a sudden you get lumped in with these people, um, you know, who is a very tiny, tiny fringe group uh, of folks that I believe would harass anybody. They're going to use any vehicle that they can find to, uh, you know, drive their agenda of racism or sexism or whatever ism you want to talk about, they're going to find any excuse to bring that up. But if you're a conscientious objector to a certain aspect of the way the stories are going, you should be able to go on and engage and have uh, productive conversations with other fans, even high-spirited conversations, without fear that you're going to be called some name that could irreparably impair your life, your career, it's absolute, total, utter insanity and mental illness. And those of you out there, and I know you're listening. I know you download this show. And I know you probably don't want to give us the credit for the downloads. So one of you probably downloads it and then sends it out to the, the other yahoos out there so that we don't get credit for your downloads. Oh, I know no, exactly no, Jason, who you that's are. That's how I get Steve shows. I get all of yes. Steve's shows that way. Via transcript, because there's a great transcriber out there who just writes down everything we say. Oh, sure, sure, because you can certainly uh, capture, you know, a two-hour-plus episode of a podcast in a, uh, you know, two- or three-paragraph uh, uh, transcript, of course. Right, right, right. Um, but, but the point being, I think that it's, it's important to look at how the, the dialogue and the narrative has changed from this, you know, handful of Star Wars fans uh, which I think is a much more accurate uh, portrayal of uh, what's going on in Star Wars fandom. This is going back to 2015. Handful of Star Wars fans get boycott Star Wars 7 to trend, blah, blah, blah. And then now you look at the headlines. It's all about, uh, you know, a after years of stewing, Star Wars fandom goes to the dark side. That's that that's Salon. To the Hollywood Reporter, a toxic fandom is killing Star Wars. Again, this this rush to judgment here and this wanting to uh, ascribe the same description to all Star Wars fans that this weirdo fringe. By the way, speaking of this weirdo fringe group of fans, again, I know they're out there because people tell me they're out there. I don't see much evidence of this. I see really heated uh, arguments going on online and i'm not gonna don't don't sit there and say listen to jason at rebel force radio he's denying that there's racism in the world and all of this of course i'm not denying that there's racism Wait, and sexism we, in the world you're not harboring these people jason no I, no I, you're I'm not, not harboring. amazing that i'm not harboring them i want to see evidence of these people they don't they certainly aren't in my circles where are you seeing this where are you where where are where are you seeing evidence of this this torrent, this flood, this 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 unstoppable wave of vicious racism and blatant sexism uh, coming across in Star Wars fan. No, I'm not saying it. I'm just people saying, hey, "Gee, does it look like Ray trained as much as Luke?" I don't know. Uh, are they taking shortcuts in the storytelling? What's the deal? I, you know, I'm seeing comments like that. I'm seeing uh, people that are legitimately having criticisms or or analyses of the way that these stories are being told now 
That's what I'm seeing. And then I'm seeing this incredible rush to judgment that if you don't embrace and love and lap up everything that's being served in front of you, that you're morally deficient. But yet, somehow, we're lapping it up and we're really enjoying it. Is it all well, that's, isn't that the great irony? That we're, you, taking you're not gonna... the, <laughs> we're taking in the Star Wars that is, not the Star Wars that isn't, and having a great time. I mean, we're, we're, having, we're having knockdown, dragout arguments with some of our closest friends <laughs> who, who, who have... <laughs> Wait, who who have who who really despise the Last Jedi, and yet somehow Jimmy Mac, you and I are the, are the enemies here. I mean, I can't, I you couldn't write this any better. You and I, we're the evil ones, and we're the ones that have been defending these films for the last four years. I, I'm just. <laughs> I'm astonished by it all. And and the thing that Lucasfilm needs to understand, and th- and I've seen this happen again and again and again with these types of conversations and the way that people are just going straight to the name calling and straight to all this stuff that these people who are right now saying, yeah, go Lucasfilm. You tell these fans how crappy they are. You tell them everybody you're going to screw up. You're going (laughs) to do something. You're going to do something they don't like. You're going to cast one more brunette white woman. You're going to, you're, you're going to lessen Kelly Marie Tran's role in episode nine. They're not going to appease a certain faction of fandom just right. And then fan, and then that part of fandom is going to turn on you, Lucasfilm, and back you into a corner because you've been trying to appease them and, and you've let all of your, all of your employees, all of your ambassadors, everyone that's affiliated with you drink their fanboy tears and, 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 and say terrible things to your fans online. And you're going to end up messing up and breaking up all the fandom. I saw it happen with me. I saw where people who had come to come to attack me, eventually some of them came back and said, wow, I said the wrong thing to that group of people, and they got really mad at me. And so I just want to thank you for being kind and opening up a dialogue. Here's the thing. That's what's going to happen to Lucasfilm if they don't get the way that they're doing their social media and stuff under control. Because what's going to happen when the very people who have sided with you in these attacks and, and in claiming these things about that have been said, what's going to happen when they attack you, Lucasfilm? Who, who then are you going to turn to for support to get your back on these things? Guys, I don't know of a brand that even comes close to the size and scale of Lucasfilm that allows their employees to run and independent contractors, whatever you want to call their actors to run around and act like children defending themselves against a bunch of insane lunatics online. I'd have never seen anything like this. When I've Batman, never seen anything like this. When Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice came out, that was a divisive movie amongst comic book fans. And there were some very hateful things said about Henry Cavill, Ben Affleck, Gal Gadot, Zack Snyder, uh, all types of nary a word spoken back like that, you know? Never never did did anyone fan get called crappy, never did. And you know that DC, uh, you guys mentioned it, they've, they've put out their social media policy that Jimmy's advocating for Lucasfilm. But I'm afraid it's fallen on deaf ears, Jim. Oh, I, everything has fallen on deaf ears as far as my relationship with Lucasfilm goes. Unless, of course, they want media contacts in the Chicago area to promote Star Wars celebration. Then they're emailing me constantly. 
<laughs> no I, lie. I, no lie. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. By the way, um, again, I, I, I brought up this story. This goes back to September of 2016 when Daisy Ridley. This was the, the independent headline. Daisy Ridley finally explains the real reason she quit Instagram. And it was because uh, she could no longer bear the pressure of growing up in front of millions. And I, I respect that. And I think that that's a very reasonable and, and common sense way to um to approach this uh john boyega seems to have uh, signed off uh of twitter temporarily um by saying you know episode nine what, what what's his quote episode nine uh shoot i don't have it in front of me does anybody have it uh no i i closed out twitter i was getting frustrated <laughs> what is it hold on a second let me find when it. I, when uh, i saw that i was a repugnant human being i, I said oh well i gotta go Oh well, you, you know what? You haven't lived on Twitter till you've been called a repugnant human being. That's right. Let's see, uh, John. He says Boy. episode. He says ep nine loading. See ya. Yeah, ep nine loading. See ya. So um, apparently he's been uh, bullied off of Twitter. No, no, he's going off to <laughs> film a major motion picture that is going to be steeped in secrecy. Uh, and wrapped in a J.J. Abrams. So, I mean, you were talking about major, major secrecy there. Um, so, so John, we know why John is going uh, dark or quiet on Twitter. Uh, going back to this, uh, this independent article, we know that, that Daisy Ridley just decided that she didn't want to uh, grow up online. And hey, can I say something about growing Ryan up to Johnson? Do. But, but why do we have to assume that Kelly Marie Tran uh, dried up her Instagram account because of uh, racist and hateful uh, comments that she was getting six months ago when the film came out? Can I say something about Ryan Johnson? Sure. He made a statement earlier this week that said he was blocking people on Twitter, which is exactly what I suggested. Stop engaging. Mm -hmm. Stop fanning the flames. Stop feeding the trolls. That's all I was saying. I'm not standing up for them. The hell with them. Really, everyone needs to shut up on social media, <laughs> quite honestly. I don't care what you think. All I care about is what I think, and I think for myself. And please. So, but, but of course, he had to throw in a shot there. He said a-holes, but he said it fully, you know. So, um, you know, he was, he was blocking all a-holes on Twitter, and everyone celebrated that. And I said, yes, of course you should be doing that. Maybe someone is hearing us. Instill a social media policy. Show restraint when you're a creator of Star Wars and a representative of the brand when you're engaging the fan community, which could be a cesspool of crap. Okay, we, we know that, but we don't I, I, need you guys swimming around in it. We I, don't I can, care what you think politically. We don't care what you think about anything. Just create cool Star Wars stuff for us. I can tell you, you know, again, I, I work in the theater industry and we bring a lot of shows into the Cleveland area. And, you know, there look, theater is art and, the, and, and arts, uh, you know, art challenges us. And art gets us to expose ourselves to ideas and thoughts that we, we, we normally wouldn't. That's, that's sort of the role of art in, uh, in our culture and in society. And I can't tell you how many times we've brought uh, material uh, to the Midwest that comes from you know, the coasts and it comes into the heartland and it doesn't necessarily digest well with some people. And we get some very hateful things that are uh, 
uh, sent to us. And uh, we know that it's a complete and utterly fool's errand to go on there and argue with people. The best we can hope is that over time, uh, the, 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 the ideas that are, you know, are, are in some of this, this material will sink into people and they'll have a change of heart or they'll come out to the next show and they'll have a great time. I, I, there, there is absolutely nothing to be gained if you are a creator, a presenter, a producer of work to go on and argue with people about things that are just completely subjective. You don't like it. Maybe it's because of prejudice. Maybe it's because it's just not your, your, your cup of tea. Maybe it's because you think you can do it better. There's a whole variety of reasons why you might have objections to something. But to sit there and try to argue over the, um, the subjective is, is complete and utter uh, futility. And in particular, it's distasteful when you are the, the creator or you're, you're, you're somehow a, a part of the stew that makes this thing. You need to rise above it. You got to rise above it. I know that there were some folks that were saying that to John Boyega, like, John, this is beneath you, man. We love you. You're Finn. You don't need to sink into these levels yes. and, and defend yourself or defend Kelly. We right. know who the sickos are. You give these guys enough rope and they will hang themselves. It, it doesn't take long for the for the the, the, the deplorable, racist, sexist, homophobic uh, creeps online to expose themselves. You give them enough time, they will. Yeah, but they'll pull some ageism play on us and say that all of us who've been around with this that's the mistake this they're saga making. and this community for 40 years, don't, don't throw us all under the bus. That's a bunch of crap. You know, and I know that there are people out there that are listening to the show and they're like, well, wait a minute, just, just, just talk about the fun stuff. Just talk about we can't ignore this. It's something that cannot be ignored. When you have articles that are showing up in Forbes and Hollywood Reporter and you're calling and, 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 and you're laying, essentially, what they're saying is that the poor performance of Solo is a result of how sick and toxic the Star Wars fan community is. For As somebody who has uh, commented, observed, and and um, been a part of the Star Wars fan community for 40 years. Uh, I, I just cannot sit here and not comment on it when the mainstream narrative is that there's something deficient and wrong with us. It's absolutely a complete and utter misinterpretation of the facts. And I, I just, I cannot... I just can't I can't sit here and, and and be silenced and pretend that nothing's going on and sit here and talk about the latest Star Wars news. The reality is the latest Star Wars news is that there is a narrative going on that mainstream Star Wars fans are toxic, that the majority of, of Star Wars fans out there uh, are, are some sort of moral deficient uh, man children. I think that's what uh, Ryan Johnson called man called babies, man Let's babies, specific. man babies. Uh, when uh, what they want to do is just have an honest discussion online about Star Wars. And uh, if they tag you, here's a bulletin. You don't have to tag back. You don't have to reply. Uh, I don't know why you would want to engage that. As Jim, you mentioned before, let fandom police fandom. Absolutely. They're, they're certainly good at policing us for crying out loud. 
you know, I put up one tweet and the whole flipping galaxy collapses on itself. I mean, geez. Well, I, I just, I'm going to say this, and, and it's something I said to Jim offline a couple of nights ago. Where was this outrage when Katie Lucas was legitimately run offline um, back during the Clone Wars? Where was this outrage for a little boy who is now, uh, for all intents and purposes, been diagnosed with mental illness because the way he was treated after portraying Anakin Skywalker? Where was this outrage for these human beings? Um, just, you know, in some instances, what was the Clone Wars six, seven years ago when Katie Lucas had her yeah. spent, had her run in with stuff? I didn't see all this outrage. I didn't see the articles written. I didn't see the people standing up and, and I sorry to use this term, but virtue signaling on behalf of their beloved Star Wars. It's, it, to me, that's what. It just it, it disgusts me that this has happened in fandom at all at any time. Where why were we not outraged when people would take a term like rape and use it to describe how George Lucas made a movie that or redid a movie that you loved all your life and said he raped your childhood? How disgusting a term has that always been? But now now because we don't like or some not we you guys love it and I have my big issues with it. But because some people want to have some intelligent discussion, and sometimes not so intelligent discussion, but you've lumped everybody in. You've lumped everyone in with these people. And, I don't, and now I'm getting fired up, and I don't mean to. But you can't. This is not how, this is not how civilization works. Stop <laughs> it. Okay? It's just not. And, 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 and you can plug your ears, and you can go sit in the corner, and you can go on Twitter and you can say that I'm an effing moron. You can call me a repugnant human being. You can say all the evil things you've ever said about me. And I'm sure Jason and Jimmy will get emails saying, well, you know what Steve Glosson said on episode blah, 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 blah of Geek Out Loud. Uh, that's fine. That's fine. Go ahead. But, my, but here's the thing. My personal convictions and my personal faith and the, personal, and the things that I think have never really been something that has caused me to look at someone else and say, I don't like you, I don't want to have anything to do with you. What has always caused me to do that is, how are you treating me? How are you treating other people? How are mm. you responding when the heat is on? Because I know when people came at me, I opened my arms and said, let's talk. Let's have a discussion about the things that you have a problem with. And, I said, and what I got in return was, no, you're not good enough. I, I'm not going to lower myself to your level. I'm not, and I'm like, lower yourself. I just took the high road, and 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 I'm and and that's where I'm tired. I'm I'm burnt out, and I'm and I'm kind of been at this place where it's like I I don't want to interact with fandom anymore. I'm just going to watch these movies and have fun and hang out with the people that enjoy what I do, and uh, you know continue to listen to the people that I enjoy listening to. Well, one it, of the mistakes that, that that not only we make, but I think that. Uh, uh, our society makes is we put so much emphasis and so much weight on the opinion of the what they call the Twitterati, mm -hmm. you know, the people in and look, all of these social platforms have uh, evolved and sort of taken on a personality of their own. And Twitter is is a very, very, very unique uh, culture of folks. And uh, I don't think that any thing you can pull from Twitter can give you as a sense of uh, where the world or, or, or where the country is in terms of their opinion and beliefs. Uh, I think that it tracks a certain 
uh, type of person, quite frankly. Um, and I don't think I, I agree with Daisy Ridley. I don't think it's a very healthy place. Uh, but what we've done here this week is we've spent uh, a couple of hours um, really sort of opening up and uh, explaining as best that we can articulate uh, where our hearts are, where our feelings are. And um, we've laid it all out there, put it all on the uh, on the line and not hidden behind some anonymous screen names uh, on Twitter with, uh, you know, X number of characters to do it and to sound pithy and intelligent. Uh, what we're doing is uh, very open and honest, and it's what we've been doing here on Rebel Force Radio and with uh, Jimmy Mack, Jason Swank, and Steve Gloss, and what we've been doing for uh, over 10 years now, 11 years, 12 years, we've been doing this. We're in a situation here where we've been able to get to know a lot of people who work on these films, and we've had some insider access over the years, and we hosted a stage at Star Wars Celebration, and we really try to do our damnedest but it's it's like that scene from almost famous when uh they say never get to be friends with the band you became friends with the band don't become friends with the band you made friends with them see friendship is the booze they feed you going to wrap things up here for this week's show but certainly not going to be the final word on any of this because if it's happening in the Star Wars fan community we pledged over a decade ago to leave no fan left behind we take the bitter with the sweet the good with the bad and we're in for a penny we're in for a pound and we're going to be continuing to monitor this situation of what's going on as various folks within the Lucasfilm community start to look down their nose and make it clear who's welcome and who's not. And there needs to be, I believe... A serious come to Jesus as we need to realize, one, that we're all fans, and two, our voice is just as important as the next fan, and to stop looking to all of this name-calling and all of this Childish behavior and get back to having fun and talking about Star Wars. And I believe that the powers that be have the ability to return us to that place that we once were. But until they do, it's going to continue to be. An uncomfortable place to be. But luckily you've got Rebel Force Radio to continue to guide your way through the muck, the murkiness, 
and the occasional Steve Glosson. <laughs> I see no connection to any of that. Oh, wow. I think Steve Glosson is a breath of fresh air anytime he's around. And God bless I you. agree. I'm so happy I agree. to have Steve I wish we with had... us. Yes. yes. So glad to have Steve with us. Thank you, Steve, for oh. hanging with us. And uh, I, truly, I... I, I I know where you are, and and I consider you a friend, and I know what you're going through. I I understand what you're going through, and for you to come on the show and spend all this time with us, uh, truly, from the bottom of my heart, I really, really appreciate it. Oh, well, look, I love you guys. I think that uh, I've said it for years. The reason I did Geek Out Loud and not a Star Wars-centric podcast is because at that time... There was already a Star Wars podcast that I couldn't be better than, so there was no need to do one. And and I've always enjoyed what you guys do. And and one of the greatest things that has been a part of my uh, interaction with fandom and in the community and the podcasting community has been getting to become friends with you guys. And uh, I just appreciate the time. I appreciate you having me on. And uh, check out geekoutpodcast.com and... Hey, if you want to direct your comments to me, everybody, geek out online at gmail.com. I'm not hard to find. I'm Steve Glosson on Twitter. <laughs> not hiding my anything. Uh, would love to have you uh, jump on uh, Patreon for us. Uh, you never miss an episode of our bonus content. We've got shows like RFR Rush Hour, RFR Rewind, RFR Q&A, and uh, all kinds of great things. You can check that out at patreon.com slash Radio. Would love to have your support. Uh, speaking of support, please support our sponsors, uh, harrys.com slash rebelforce for your free trial set. That's harrys.com slash rebelforce, the good folks at Harry's. Also, uh, email us, show at rebelforceradio.com. Again, we're not hiding either. Uh, hiding either. Show at rebelforceradio.com. The voicemail line, 708-320-1RFR. That's 708-320-1737. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at Rebel Force Radio. We're also on Facebook. Uh, the official website can be found at rebelforceradio.com. Not only do we have all the archives, all the shows available there for you to download, but we also have uh, merchandise like RFR t-shirts and so much more. Uh, iTunes continues to be a great place to review, download, subscribe, Rebel Force Radio and all the shows here that we uh, produce as part of our vast podcast empire uh love to have those reviews just one rule please make them good and you can find rebel force radio streaming at wgnplus.com youtube uh we're on spotify we're on google play stitcher iHeartRadio, soundcloud and just about anywhere you can find podcasts you'll also find us listed at jedinews.co.uk fanthatracks.com and the official star wars website StarWars.com. That's going to be it for us. We'll see you next time for Rebel Force Radio. I'm Jason. And I'm Jimmy Mack. And remember, the Force will be with you always. Always.